Heads up, this episode, John and Darren plumb the depths of WrestleMania, Frank Miller hair, and French-Canadian humor as they trust the fungus on Here's Why It's Great. folks and welcome back once again to here's why it's great the podcast where we take what you hate and tell you why it's great i'm your host john bring and boy do we have a special guest for you today he is a guy you've heard about probably since the beginning of the show he's a co-host of his own podcast a wrestling podcast called the whole ref and show the only podcast where they call it right down the middle he's my best bud welcome to the show darren beasley all right, welcome. That is uh, quite an introduction. Uh, yeah. I'm glad to be here. I could have gone on longer. He's also a photographer and a writer and a teacher, and a philosopher and a good man. He's just a good man, everyone. You know, that's what I want to be known as more than anything else, a good man. Not I mean, a philosopher? Were, well, shit, you got me there. I was going to say good man because I could be a good man and be a ditch digger, but uh, I could be a, I could be a ditch digger and be a philosopher and a good man okay i'll take it i'll just take the whole just take the whole shebang yes sir uh so you folks have heard me talk about this guy since basically day one as i said i became best friends with this guy on day one of fourth grade mrs rackley's class at sl mason at the time pass it on was the thing and where you'd say something to somebody you whisper it and then you say pass it on and they would tell the next person and they would tell the next person and so on and I was flipping through my English book, and I found a picture of a book inside the book that said Busy Bugs. And for no reason, I turned to Darren, who we had hated each other, or at least he hated me up to this point, because I beat him in the third grade spelling bee. Uh, We're not with... going to talk about that at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so that's all we say. But anyway, Darren hated me. I said, Busy Bugs, pass it on. Darren abiding by the rules that we had created for ourselves, the social construct that we had, where if you are asked to pass it on, obviously you pass it on. He passed on busy bugs to a girl who then passed it on to our teacher. We got in trouble within the first five minutes of class on the first day of fourth grade. We were sent outside. We had to put our names on the board, which was a huge scarlet letter at the time. <laughs> had to go outside. And it was like the scene in Step Brothers out in the hallway. We said, are we best friends? Yup! And we're off to the races. No, that's too true. It was 20 or 25 years before Step Brothers came out, but that's there is no better comparison because we, we took two kids that did not like each other, really didn't even know each other, and put us into one situation where we were sharing uh, punishment and over something so silly and uh, caused by a girl neither of us liked. Oh, common enemy. Common enemy will make friends out of anyone. Absolutely. And uh, so there we were in the hallway, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, this is the guy, folks, that I made stuffed animal movies with in high school. I made live-action movies with actual people eventually in college and in high school. We've made our own James Bond movies. We've made our own Star Wars movies. We've made our own... God, what haven't we made? Honestly, we've made... Well, the the thing is, the the only problem with any of that is... They had already made those movies. <laughs> so. Well, one of my favorite stories ever is the night where we used to stay up all, all night 
all the time. Uh, the two of us and the co-host on uh, Darren's podcast, The Whole Ref and Show, his co-host is my cousin, Perry Smith. We all stayed up all night frequently uh, making movies in my dad's game room, a.k.a. a den if you want to be a weirdo. Uh, we would stay up all night, and we were obsessed with Forrest Gump, and we stayed up all night making our own Forrest Gump movie, a truncated version of it, playing all the various characters ourselves, being way too loud, up until maybe six in the morning. And once we were done with Forrest Gump, we were so happy with the results of that movie, we said we had to make another remake immediately. And Darren said, why not Waterworld? A movie that (laughs) Perry and I had yet to see. And we still said, absolutely, let's make this movie. Let's do it. So the instant the sun was out and we could turn off the alarm that was in my house that that had this ever-present beep anytime anyone opened the door. So we turned off the alarm at like 7 in the morning, which should have been a huge alarm to my parents. We went outside. We got into the pool to make this movie. We got through the first like the, the setup scenes. You know, we had Darren playing the Mariner, drinking his own pee. And a hilarious scene. Uh, oh, well, I played. That's uh, as far as I mean. Teenage boys. That was worth the price of admission. We got to do the drinking your own pee scene. And again, Perry and I had not seen the movie, so we had no idea what Darren was talking <laughs> about. I was like, wait, he drinks his own pee in the movie? That's that's weird. That's dumb. Uh, I played the little girl with the map on her stomach, and my cousin Perry played the deacon. The Dennis Hopper part. We'll obviously talk about him a lot today. And we had a great time making the beginning of the movie. We somehow were super energetic after staying up all night. And lo and behold, it came time to get to the pool scene, the water scenes, the underwater action, the bulk of our movie. So what was our great plan, Darren, to uh, to tackle this technical achievement? Well, the movie was definitely called Water World. We're not going to not go underwater. And so we put the video camera inside of a gallon-sized freezer Ziploc bag. Uh-huh. I mean, it has the double seal. It's supposed to be airtight. Yeah, obviously. And it's clear, so we can film through it like it's not there. I don't understand, actually, to this day, why it doesn't work. I mean, I'm a history teacher. I'm not a science teacher. (laughs) (laughs) But we lowered this this bag with a video camera inside of it, and it's recording. (laughs) And because there was no editing... Everything was one and done, and yep. so and shot chronologically, et cetera, et cetera. So we're dropping the camera into the water as though the viewer is descending underwater. Here, I mean, this is this is pretty pretty this is like uh, some high level stuff. This is like some Steven Spielberg, James Cameron type stuff. I was going to say it, it was like heady DP thinking with absolutely no technical precision or even any technical knowledge. So anyway, the the exact moment the the camera goes underwater, it breaks. It yeah. stops. We don't even get a split second of underwater footage. We are watching the tape. <laughs> we, we actually shot the entire movie. We shot the plot of the entire movie to the best of Darren's recollection. We defeated the Deacon. We found dry land eventually, a.k.a. the outside of my pool. And we got in. We I, we probably rewatched our Forrest Gump. Luckily, this tape survived. We rewatched Forrest Gump. We're like, all right, here comes Waterworld, baby. This is going to be great. We get through the intro. Everything that's set before the actual water stuff is hilarious. It's great. It's maybe like three minutes of footage. And then we're probably. like, all right, baby, here it comes. We're going underwater. And yes, we don't even get a split second of underwater footage before it fritzes out instantly. 
<laughs> and my parents were not pleased. Thank goodness no. they owned a pawn shop, or else we would have probably never made another movie again. I don't know what my excuse was. It may have been <laughs> I may have told them the truth. I may have just said, I tried to make an underwater movie and it killed the camera. Give me another one. And they did. Uh, we were back on our feet making movies probably like another week later. Yeah, I don't recall exactly how every camera broke, but I know that we went, in our high school years alone, we went through four or five. And these were not uh, not not readily available on everyone's cell phone. These are These are video cameras. Fairly high-end products at that time in the early, mid-1990s. They were, and we killed a lot of them. And again, thank goodness my parents were not only supportive of our artistic endeavors, not only were they fine with us destroying their property consistently, but uh, you know it was it was good support to have. And I'm, I think it just got us out of their hair. So that's probably why they're like, sure, just give them a camera. They'll leave us alone for a few hours. They'll they'll be outside, and the house will be quiet. That was probably the main reason behind it. Probably. We were quite a pair, and including my cousin, we were a, a trio of terror. We were loud. We were obnoxious. And uh, this is right around the time, honestly, that the movie that we're talking about came out. I'm talking about 1993's Super Mario Bros. Not Super Mario Brothers. Bros. Yeah, but nobody calls it that. Like, no. that's what it That's what it really is. I mean, I, I guess, guess because... The, the game, the, the original game was called Bros. It is, but now here's my question. No one called the game Super Mario Bros. Uh, I, I think it's the presence of that period. The period being there implies that it's an abbreviation. If it's if that period's not there, then yeah, that game and that movie are forever straight up known as Super Mario Bros. Right? Yeah, I think so. I don't. I don't think I've ever heard of it referred to anything besides that. It's never been called Super Mario Brothers. No, 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 no. They're quite the contrary. It's only ever been called Super Mario Brothers. That's my point. Is you think? You think? I, I feel like most people when they talk. Well, you know what? I guess no. You're right. Now that I'm thinking no about it. No one calls people. it Super Mario Bros. Like, I know you live in Los Angeles, but, like, uh, you're from, you know, the South. So we're not surfer dudes, nor are we Jersey boys. And so bro has never been a part of our or any of our friends' lexicon. So I think that that would have always really stood out. Because, like, I've never said bro non-ironically in my entire life. Well, uh, my usual co-host, Sebastian, and I definitely brought bro into our lexicon <laughs> several years ago. It started out ironic. There you and, go. There you go. And I've heard uh, just recently a term called irony poisoning that I really enjoy where and, – and we have been victim to this many, many times where we start saying something facetiously and it very quickly morphs into a legitimate term of endearment or a legitimate term that we use. And bro – began with Sebastian and I goofing off at work when we were doing our epic comic where we were sending uh, panels of a comic on post-it notes back and forth. And for some reason, bro became a thing in the post-it notes. And so we were making bro puns, you know, like bro punzel is a good one or bro, <laughs> bro buffet or broda, you know, anything that you could do what that a, with. What about, what about bro, brobo cop? Brobo. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Rocky about broa. Stuff like that. Uh, so we were doing that back and forth, and then it went from us being like, ha stupid-ass bros, that's so dumb. Then we started calling each other bro, and now it is 1,000% a legitimate term of endearment between me, Sebastian, and Lindsay. We're all, we call each other bro all the time, and it's still kind of 
in a funny way, but generally speaking, it's legit, and I'm somewhat ashamed to admit it. <laughs> hey, man, whatever floats your broat. <laughs> See, now you get it. Now you get it. Uh, but yeah, Super Mario Bros. released May 28th, 1993, and it was immediately slammed uh, both box office wise uh, critically fans hated it everybody hated this movie except for two young men in Valdosta Georgia who basically arm in arm went to go see this movie together <laughs> that would be you and I I remember it very clearly it was at the the theater the tiny theater in our mall there was maybe like four or five other people in the theater if if that no, I, I got to correct you there. You say you remember it very clearly, but I'm going to see if you remember one of the funniest parts about walking into that theater that day is it was actually a fairly full, uh, let's say, let's say it was half full. And we walked in together. Again, we were 12 years old. So obviously we had been driven there and dropped off. This movie theater was the quote unquote new theater in Valdosta. So we walk in, in addition to the two people sitting here, three people sitting here, five people sitting here, toward the back of the theater, there was a row of like 12 other 12-year-old boys that we went to school with. And because we walked in and we were late, so like the previews were rolling. And so we walk in and we're walking down the right side and then we literally hear like a dozen or more pubescent boys yell, John and Darren! Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, huh? And uh, and all of our classmates were there. The strange thing, and I, I won't belabor this point, we have to talk about this movie, but uh. like you mentioned earlier, we became best friends in the fourth grade, and then I immediately switched schools uh, because my, fa my father had built a house for us outside the city limits, and as our county had two distinctly different school districts, based on where I lived, I not only had to switch schools, I switched school systems. So we remained best friends and we saw quite a bit of each other, but that became even more difficult the next year when my family relocated to Tampa Bay. And I was like, oh no, what am I going to do now? I live four hours away from home. I live four hours away from John. Yeah. Like, and we were only allowed to speak like once a week. You know, we, we did the long distance thing, you know, that would train me later for long distance with Lindsay. And yeah, it was rare when we could actually talk or see each other. Exactly. And all of those conversations, by the way, were dominated by what was happening in Marvel comics. If you recall, oh, yeah. particularly Executioner's song, the, the thread that ran through all the X books. And this is very timely infinity war. Oh yeah. Um, when I say timely, obviously this is not being recorded <laughs> around the release of the film Infinity War, but Endgame now has been out for what six months, five months, something like not that. Not even that. Not, not like even three that. Months. Okay, so here we are, twenty-six years ago, each of us picking up uh, the new issue of Infinity War, and weird, right? It's also weird that in Infinity War, the movie is is really Infinity Gauntlet. Yes, the comic book and. Uh, Infinity War is all about Adam Warlock, who doesn't even have the slightest mention no. in the film. Just a teaser at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2 with this cocoon. But you know what? That is a subject for another day. And we, we actually talk quite often about how lucky we feel that we're living in a time where 
on Netflix, you can find Daredevil and Luke Cage or The Punisher. And all of these characters are realized so perfectly. And then go to the multiplex and people are crying in the theaters when Iron Man sacrifices himself and when Captain America decides to grow old. And how we've had these things and we're so lucky to live in this time where we grew up loving this thing. And uh, now it's like all that love is paying off so beautifully. And that sort of dovetails into how we were feeling in 1993 as huge players of the Super Mario Brothers video games. We thought, how lucky are we to be here to experience a live action adaptation of this? Oh, for sure. Because just to finish my diversion there, my my father realized very quickly after moving us to Tampa Bay, this isn't going to work for me or my family. So over halfway through the school year, we relocated back to Valdosta. And instead of going to the county school system, I went back to the city school system, waltzed onto the campus of West Gordon Elementary School, and guess who attended that school? John Bring. Oh, hell yeah. And all of a sudden, we didn't have to talk about Infinity War over the telephone. We could talk about it on the playground. Yeah, and we did. I feel like the day you came back, we like wrapped up the, the Executioner song <laughs> uh, recap to each other. Because I was like, oh, and then Strife, and then Forearm came out, and then, oh, and then Cable and Shatterstar. And then and you're I like, was oh. probably like, oh, man, uh, <laughs> let's see. How about, let's talk about Forearm some more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got the, I went to KB Toys and got the Forearms toys. The Forearm toy was, was way cooler than Forearm ever was. Uh, yeah, because you squeezed his legs together and his arms would flip around and he actually well, had yeah. forearms. You got two extra appendages for the same price. And you didn't need to know anything about that backstory of the character. You didn't need to know his real name. You needed to know nothing about him. Only he's a strong dude. He's got forearms. I was about to say, motherfucker has forearms. Yeah. The end. What more do you need? We could talk about forearm. This isn't a podcast about forearm. If you actually want to hear a little bit about forearm, you can jump back to our podcast. Sebastian and I covered Rob Liefeld, the creator of forearm at one point and had a little bit to say about that character, but we're talking about super Mario bros. I know it's, it's hard to keep on track. We've got so much to say about this movie. So we saw it with a bunch of kids our age. I don't think anybody else liked it, but us in the world. That sounds, no. that sounds about right. If you look it up today, if you look at the trivia or an interview with any of the actors that were part of this movie, nobody gave a shit about it. Nobody thought it turned out well. Nobody had a good time on it. It was apparently a miserable production, but Man, we were just, we were transfixed. We were in love with this movie. I know I was. And fast forwarding to today, I'm going to remove the adjective transfixed because I am no longer in any way transfixed by this film, but I love it. I still like it. I actually do like this movie. I like it a lot. Transfixed would be a, <laughs> a bridge too far. But yeah, at that time, at that time, I sure as shit did. Uh, today, though, I still dig it. Like, I really like this I movie. When, when I watched it to prepare for us to talk about it, just one more refresher. I don't know. Let's say this is probably the 20th, 25th time I've seen this movie uh, in my life. I, I watched it on DVD. I've owned the DVD since it was very first released. I don't believe there's a Blu-ray uh, no. version out there. Apparently, know- it's in the works. They're doing a 4K transfer of it now. And you bet your ass. I don't, we were just talking about this. I don't even buy Blu-rays anymore. I will own a copy of Super Mario Brothers. Even owning the DVD, I'll go out and buy the Blu-ray. But you also cannot find this movie on like a digital format. 
if you don't have this on VHS or DVD, you can't watch it. It's not streaming anywhere. It was actually released by Hollywood Pictures, which was a subsidiary of Buena Vista Pictures, which is a subsidiary of Disney. I think they shuttled it off to Hollywood Pictures because they were embarrassed about the product. It makes sense that Disney would want to hop onto this property. They were red fucking hot back in 1993. The Super Nintendo had just come out. The 16-bit revolution was upon us. It was a great time to release this movie. Everybody had Mario fever. I remember renting Super Mario World for the first time. I had no idea the Super Nintendo was even coming out. My dad and I went to a video store, and I saw these new boxes of games. And I was like, whoa, those aren't the normal Nintendo shape. Realized (laughs) we could rent a Super Nintendo. We rented Super Mario World. And it's to this day is maybe my third favorite game of all time. I think, honestly, like maybe my top three favorite games of all time are all Mario games. Nothing will ever beat my experience with Mario 64. Uh, oh, no way, dude. No My way. dad and I scoured our entire town and got one of the last three 64s that were available on day one. Pretty sure I had you come over that weekend. And you played, better believe it. Played the shit out of it. Even just the the Mario at the beginning where you could stretch his face using this new wacky-ass controller blew our minds. I love that game. I replay Mario 64 every year. Every chance I get, I replay it. I still own a Nintendo 64 just so I can pull that game out every once in a while and play it. And honestly, Mario World might be my second favorite game of all time. So it was wow. right around that time, and we were just stoked about it. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I was going to ask was what was the latest game that had come out before the movie? Was it Super Mario World? Yeah, Super Mario World. I, when I, I put it in last night, I thought that Mario 3 may have been the latest one, but no, Super Mario World was maybe a less than a year old at the point that this movie okay. was released. I, it, I guess it would have to be because of the presence of Yoshi. Yeah. Is that right? Because Yoshi makes his yeah. debut in Super Mario Yoshi, World? Yoshi, that was the big draw for Super Mario World. He was on the cover. Uh, yeah, he was a big draw for that. Yeah, because I, I found myself thinking about that when watching the movie this time. Because it's definitely the most analytical viewing I've ever given. <laughs> right, obviously. Th- this movie. And so I was trying to track a lot of different things. And I was like, well, wait, okay. What games existed? Like, what all what all source material did they have to draw from for this movie? Because there's a lot. I mean, oh, yeah. nothing, nothing is true to the source material, but it, there's it a is, lot but it there. isn't. It's very odd. The, the, the straddling of the line there, but I, I, uh, I will say the, the, the number one thing, like before we even get deep into it, like the number one thing is, and I think this is a, this becomes like a throwaway line. People say this and it's almost become a cliche. If anything is not very direct, people say, oh, it's like an acid trip or it's like this. Like, but you're on drugs. Right. It's like insert source material here on acid. But this movie actually kind of is that. It's like if you spent a week playing Super Mario Brothers games and then you got very, very ill and had a fever dream, (laughs) this is what you would dream about. If the world of Super Mario World became like a nightmarish hellscape, that's basically what <laughs> this movie would be. You know, I'm I'm surprised this movie was not directed by Terry Gilliam uh, because the- there's so many things that are Gillian isms in this movie that I'll get into. Just one thing I'll mention for anybody who's seen this movie, there are so many sparks in this movie. This has maybe the highest quotient of sparks in different scenes. <laughs> I don't even know where they're coming from half the time, but that just felt like a very Gilliam-esque thing where there's 
just so much going on. There's so much kinetic energy to every frame of this movie. And that's something I do love about it and something that I think is special about it. I think that like the sparks are just something that remind me of Terry Gilliam. They talk about it in the, one of the special features for 12 Monkeys. It was called the hamster effect where there's a shot of Bruce Willis in the machine and there's 5,000 moving components in the shot. And at the very bottom, very tiny in the frame, there's a hamster wheel and Terry Gilliam did like 50 takes of the shot, but he wasn't satisfied until everything was working and the hamster was running on the wheel. And it was probably the smallest detail you could find in this thing. But I think that's a good example of the level of detail that Terry Gilliam is always after, or at least was at the time that he was operating on a, a higher budget, not bigger scale. But I think a lot of that does carry over to this movie. Oh, I can agree with that. I, two things immediately. Um, and they're, and they're, sort of intertwined is uh, the fungus as a whole. The fungus is very Terry Gilliam. Uh, and then I think, the, I don't know, I don't know what you would call it. It's, I guess it's the throne room where the, where the original mushroom so, king, yeah. <laughs> other than the presence of a throne, it does not appear to be a throne room. It looks like a shower in an insane asylum. And that, and so there, of course, therein lies the second part of it, the whole white tile like almost a uh, walleye camera uh, yeah. angle, that combination screams Terry Gilliam. Yeah, and even just like the characterization of Koopa and the race of the lizard people, how they're all very primal and very uh, lizard brains, for lack of a better. Uh, hey! But, <laughs> uh, just that all seemed very Gilliam to me. And that's something that actually never occurred to me until watching it last night. I'm glad you brought it up. I was really thinking that too. Like, wow, it feels like Terry Gilliam was on set shadowing like a shadow director on this entire thing. Kind of like Spielberg was kind of the shadow director of Poltergeist for Toby Hooper. It feels like Terry Gilliam was like over the shoulder the entire time. Like, hmm, how about you try this out? How about you do this? <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about this fucking thing because we could honestly okay, yeah, yeah, we yeah, could yeah, go yeah. on and on forever. Like I've got a ton to say about this movie. And well, the last thing I'll say before we get into it was Lindsay watched it with me last night and as soon as it ended, she turned to me and was like, dude, that was bad. That was Oh no. Bad. So the point the reason I'm saying that is that people still think this movie is terrible. Lindsay, whose opinion I respect highly, obviously, and who I think does have very good taste. Maybe she's like, there's a lot of fun visuals. There's a lot of fun stuff there, but the the narrative is bad. The movie is bad. We're going to get through that. We're going to, we're, we're here to prove that thought wrong. And I'm not trying to say that my wife is necessarily wrong. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but it's just funny to me that people hated it so much. Then it had a uh, 21% on Rotten Tomatoes, for instance, 29% audience score. People hated it. Uh, let me just like give you a couple of quick quotes from from some reviews before we jump into this oh and it made 21 million dollars off of a 48 million dollar budget so Eesh. yikes yeah it did not do well so lawrence cone of variety said the movie was wildly overproduced and derivative uh wildly overproduced maybe <laughs> derivative also maybe but does it do it well perhaps uh critic Stephen Garrett said it will baffle kids, bore adolescents, and depress adults. That's a pretty oh, damning comment. But I don't think it uh maybe baffling, yes, but like boring adolescents? Hell no. We had a blast, man. We were the adolescent, we were the target audience. Yeah, there's nothing boring about this. I mean, that's the main thing you can say. There's this is definitely not boring. And finally, Gene Siskel said, if this doesn't turn out to be one of the worst movies of the year, it's gonna be a very bad year. Oh my like, god! Shit, I know. Yeah, they gave it. Siskel and Ever gave it two thumbs down. Let me let me say one more thing. Let me tell you 
one thing right off the bat. And then we really should, I agree with you, get into the, the beats of this movie. This movie comes out in a period that includes things like Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. Tim Burton's Batman Returns. The New Line Cinema Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Tank Girl. These are movies that all kind of share some weird like dystopian elements. Uh, they also all kind of, well, I guess Ninja Turtles being the exception, they all reek of what are obvious sets and yeah. uh, uh, soundstage this, shooting. Yeah, there's like a, a high level of artifice to the yes. surrounds. On one hand, I hate that. On the other hand, I kind of love it. This movie particularly is very Blade Runner heavy. Like sure, it's no. clearly aping that style. Yeah, and I get a total like uh, uh, Mars vibe from Total Recall. Uh, oh yeah, when they're walking around in Koopa Land or the, it's called the Dino Ko- Hatton, Darren. Dino Hatton. Right. Well, I did pay attention, but I, I actually I, I guess I wasn't paying attention because I was too busy trying to figure out what it was called. I was like, is it the Koopa Kingdom? I mean, he is King Koopa, but wait, it's the Mushroom Kingdom, right? Uh, what's happening? You know, was it the Mushroom Kingdom and now it's, oh, it's Dino Hatton. That's it's right. It's Dino Hatton, which is by far the laziest part of this entire movie is naming that Dino Hatton. That's so dumb. The, the only cool thing about Dino Hatton, other, because the name is not cool, I will say that. I can't tell you why that's great. It's because it's not. But the the globe, the globe that Koopa has that he yes. spends, where he... <laughs> <laughs> they do make it very clear only this city exists in their dimension. Yeah. It's only one borough of New York City right. is the only inhabitable place on Earth. Yeah. And the rest and of it's just a barren wasteland. So why would you even have the globe at this point? Because <laughs> what are you charting? I know it's maybe it's to be proud of the fact that they have this gleaming castle in a wasteland. Yeah, which is referred to as Koopa Towers. Yeah. Which are the twin towers. The twin towers. Yeah. Which I will Uh, say I wrote, yeah, I wrote that very early on in my notes. This is one of those movies where they very conspicuously factor in the, the world trade center, the twin towers. And, you know, for kids, uh, I guess for generation X and, and millennials, that's a real thing. That's a real big thing is before nine 11, after nine 11, kind of have lived in two different worlds and it was a little only disturbing once they do get to dino hatton because one of the towers is partially destroyed or something happened to it either either it's like the death star from return of the jedi where it's not quite completed building but it looked more to me like it had been attacked somehow there's like a big hole in the middle of it and that was a little disturbing to me but you know i celebrate the world trade center i love going back and watching old woody allen movies or old uh really any Old New York movies, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a great example that feature the World Trade Center towers uh, prominently. Even the old, uh, the 1976 King Kong, which Kong, instead of climbing the Empire State Building, climbed the two towers or one of the towers. It was great to see. Um, I'm actually watching with Lindsay a show called Pose on FX. It's about late 80s, early 90s New York. It's the ball scene. It's kind of based off of the documentary Paris is Burning. Are you familiar with any of this? Actually, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with the source material. And I just yesterday 
received uh, a text from uh, an ex-girlfriend asking me if I loved this show. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't I don't even know it. <laughs> well, I love the show. I think it's really great. It's it's very melodramatic, so maybe I don't know if you'll like it or not, but it's really it's about trans people and gay people in late 80s early 90s New York. It's about the AIDS epidemic. But one thing that I really appreciate, it is really the New York that they represent of that time, which is the time we're talking about, the late 80s, early 90s, the the time of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, that dark, gritty, kind of scary, seedy version of New York is what they represent. And they're not shy uh, about putting the World Trade Center in the background. And obviously it's all CG at this point, but I love giving the respect to that place and showing that time and accurately representing it because I know there are other movies and shows that have shied away from even showing it, that have shied away from photographing or they would angle it out or out of respect. You know, I'm not going to say it's not respectful to put it in there, but I'm just saying that like, I love that it's in there. I think it's great. And I think that it's neat that it's in this movie for what it's worth too. It's, it's a weird thing. It's, I, it's an odd thing to talk about on a podcast where we're like ah, making zippy jokes about John Leguizamo and Mario Mario. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I enjoy the inclusion of it. Uh, but before we jump into it, let me give some dry facts about this bad boy. Uh, it was written by Parker Bennett, Perry Runte, and Ed Solomon. Uh, Bennett and Runte were, uh, I guess, writing partners. They were not the first writers to do it. There was originally a version of the script that was a little bit more of a drama. It was Rain Man-esque, where it was Mario and Luigi and their complicated relationship as brothers going on a quest it sounded way too grounded for me i i don't know if i want it to replace this movie but i kind of want to see it too i'd be i want i want to be i want to be able to put the shard in the meteor right and <laughs> go to the dimension where that movie was made right uh, so i'm curious which of the brothers was the dustin hoffman character <laughs> Because they they really they even called it Drain Man was the the name they had for it, but that was a different writer. There were several different takes on it, and and ultimately they had gotten this dystopian version that was very dark. And at the last second, uh, new writers were brought on to lighten up the movie to make it more of a family friendly kids movie. Because no shit, that's who's going to be wanting to see this. People like you and me at twelve years old. Uh, but Runty and Bennett would not really write a lot together. They wouldn't really go on to anything of note after this movie, so you could say they're retired as champions. No, 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 what? no, my friend. Oh, is there something that, that you found? Parker Bennett wrote one episode of Sweet Valley High. <laughs> oh, well, sorry. And good then, on, good on you, and then and he then, retired as champion. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but Ed Solomon, I'm sure you're familiar with some of his work. He co-wrote Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And one of our personal favorites, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And then obviously he would go on to much bigger success. He would do Men in Black, Charlie's Angels. Eventually, he's still working now. He did the Now You See Me franchise. I don't want to call him a friend of the show. Louis Leterrier directed that movie. He was the uh, director of The Incredible Hulk, which Sebastian and I covered a few episodes back. Uh, but most uh, importantly, me... Ed, Ed Solomon's about to, he wrote Bill and Ted Face the Music, one of my most anticipated movies of 2020. Yes. Oh my God. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. A third Bill and Ted. I mean, who doesn't love, oh, well, first of all, who doesn't love John Wick? But secondly, who doesn't love John Wick? But. I defy all these John Wick come latelys <laughs> who think that uh, now all of a sudden Keanu Reeves is cool. Motherfucker, Keanu Reeves has been numero uno in my book for 30 years. You can you can take your John Wicks and, and go sit in the corner, get in line, because I'm buying the first ticket 
to Bill and Ted face the music. You and I have been drinking the Keanu Kool-Aid since Jump Street, son. We love this guy. I think uh, I've actually been asked in grocery stores, maybe in my younger days when I was a little bit more fresh-faced and a little bit slimmer, but I actually got asked on multiple occasions if I was related to Keanu Reeves. So in a <laughs> much like John Connor in Terminator 2 Judgment Day with Edward Furlong and then in Keanu Reeves as the teenage version slash young adult version, I always saw a bit of myself physically in them. Like I could I could more easily put myself into their roles. Uh, so I've always just loved Keanu, loved Bill and Ted. Bogus Journey is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is one of the greatest depictions of hell I've ever seen. It's such a great sequel, such a wacky fucking sequel. And I'm enjoying this current chaonissance that we're going through where everybody's obsessed with him like last week when toy story 4 came out like half of my instagram and half of my twitter were videos or articles about how great keanu reeves is as a dude about him stopping on the side of the road to help a then unknown octavia spencer uh push her car to the side of the road or him hanging out with a homeless guy on the street i love those stories so much i love keanu reeves but in those dark years right before the matrix after johnny mnemonic which is only like two years and then after the matrix ended until now until john wick came out i never didn't carry the torch for keanu oh he's man great. me neither he is wonderful he he's, is he's a blessing is he is he, he is a goddamn treasure and uh yeah and i saw toy story he was one of my favorite parts of toy story 4 as the oh wait as, keanu's in toy story 4 oh hell yeah man he plays duke kaboom uh spoiler, greatest, spoiler oh sorry well everybody if you go see anything he's in the trailers and stuff duke kaboom he's not in uh, the trailer <laughs> duke kaboom is and definitely in the trailers he's duke kaboom canada's greatest stuntman and there's some great french canadian comedy it actually led me to discover that keanu is canadian so yeah uh no, he's no, no. so what, but what the hell what do you mean some good french canadian humor in there like <laughs> what is french canadian humor French Canadian humor. Well, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but you, you know, already did. You already spoiled that Keanu Reeves is in Toy Story Four. I mean, it's not him playing Keanu Reeves. He's playing a toy. But <laughs> I'm saying French Canadian humor, like the name of the kid, like his version of Andy is Rijon. There's just like it's French Canadian stuff. It's like him. Oh, like they're saying, I see. Hey, Duke, can you find a way out of here? And instead of saying yes, he says we. Oui. Like stuff like that is really funny okay, to me. So, it's just oh, okay. very subtle. So French Canadian as the butt of the joke, not it's not French Canadian humor. It's French Canadian jokes. Oh well, yeah, yes. I Let thought me you were that. like because I was like, how sharp, how attuned to French Canadian humor are you? Not at like, all. I was like, yeah, have you been spending too much time up there in the uh, the Great White North? No, I I find that my exposure to Canadians has been not super uh, lengthy, but I will say that uh, other than some of my favorite comedian actors of all time, the Catherine O'Hara's, the Rick Moranis's, the Eugene Levy's, the uh, John Candy's of the world, who I all love. Um, you mean every every non stand up comedian of the 70s and 80s yes and how they're all from canada somehow but besides those people uh, i tend to find that usually canadian people have uh their sense of humor is a little off like i maybe it's just not my uh, uh doesn't align with my sense of humor but anytime i tried to make a canadian laugh uh when in vancouver the few times i've been it always lands with a resounding thud so but let's hope that if i met Keanu reeves he would laugh at me because he's also he has dual citizenship 
So he's also American and Canadian. So if I met him and told some great jokes, he'd probably chuckle at them. I should hope so. I think he's a nice enough guy to do it. Yeah, I and, think so. Uh, even if he didn't find it funny. Yeah. He, uh, we, we don't have to worry about his uh, French-Canadian humor. <laughs> his French-Canadian humor. So we talked about the writers of Super Mario Bros. It was directed by a married couple, Annabelle Jenkel and Rocky Morton. They're the creators of Max Headroom. Hell yes. Oh, yeah. Hell yes. Uh, I don't care anything else about Rocky Morton. Uh, not to be confused with Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express. Uh, <laughs> famed and, uh, 1970s NWA wrestling duo. You obviously. better believe it. You better I'm believe saying it. that for the, for those people in the audience who maybe don't know who the Rock and Roll Express are. Uh, Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel, apparently they were a nightmare making Super Mario Brothers. They were not successful filmmakers. They were apparently like badasses and music video directors working with like amazing eighties artists and working with like talking heads. And and then of course working with uh, legends like George Harrison of the Beatles and Miles Davis. Uh, so in the music video realm, they were like top notch, but they, I think were I scraping the bottom of the barrel when they when they wound up with them to direct the film i know yeah. that harold ramus passed on yep. this uh Dan, danny devito passed on this yep. danny he, devito he, he was gonna direct and star in it if i'm not mistaken i mean danny devito as mario is, is that's interesting of, that's and interesting. then bob hoskins is the version of danny devito if he got the mushroom the slightly bigger <laughs> version. <laughs> so they could have both played Mario in that case. Oh my God. Yeah, there was a lot of casting woes in this thing. Hard time finding a director because, again, the script was all over the place. There were different versions. There was a more fantasy leaning uh, version of the script. And then you got this dark dystopian version, which appealed to Morton and Jinkle. And as you said, there are big video directors, which, I mean, we've had – David Fincher was a music video director to start, and obviously he's one of the greatest working directors now. Love him or hate him, Michael Bay was a music video director. Dude knows how to hate, shoot the hate, shit out of a movie. Hate him. Hate him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too for the most part. Except for Armageddon. We we have a lot of love for that movie. Whoo-wee, and I still, yeah. have, I still haven't seen The Rock. I'm a little late to the party on that one, but apparently that one's pretty great too. Like, I've not, seen Dwayne Johnson, but I've, I've never seen Dwayne seen, Johnson a whole bunch. I've never seen that Sean Connery movie. Right. Yeah. Same. So certainly there are plenty of great directors to come out of the video world. And it really shows in this movie that they are music video directors because the imagery is top notch from the beginning to the end of this movie. I think the, the shots and how it looks is so vibrant and so beautiful and so amazing they just didn't have a good sense for story. And I think as far as character, I can't really speak to that. I think they let the actors determine their own characters because Bob Hoskins is doing his Eddie Valiant thing. John Leguizamo is basically playing John Leguizamo. And Dennis Hopper is certainly doing whatever the hell he just decided to do on any given day. <laughs> uh, and it varies wildly from scene to scene what Dennis Hopper is doing. It really was like the whims of this guy. But uh, Morton and, and uh, Jinkle were apparently nightmares on set. Can we mention the, the other casting, the, uh, the almost casting here? Oh, that sure. Happened? Yeah, let's the, do In it. addition to Danny DeVito almost directing himself as Mario Mario, apparently they considered Tom Hanks for Mario. Oh, I read about that. And do you want to get to the most hilarious part of that? Please. Even a Canadian would laugh at this. Where, because <laughs> what, what about a French Canadian? Unclear about the French Canadians, but 
apparently after Turner and Hooch was a bomb and Joe versus the Volcano was a bomb, they're like, ah, this Tom Hanks guy, he's going nowhere. He's not a box office draw. They hired him, I think, to play either Mario or Luigi, and they're like, ah, get him out of here. He sucks. And so as he drove away in his pickup truck, they just uh, they started throwing Academy Awards into the back of it. <laughs> yeah. All I was going to say, did he get that news? And he's like, God, they wouldn't even take me for Super Mario Brothers. I got to step up my game. I'll show them. And then he shot Philadelphia. And then he shot Forrest Gump. And then Saving Private Ryan. And now he's America's sweetheart. American treasure, just like... Mr. Keanu Reeves. Mo- I mean, without a doubt. It's funny that you mentioned that it was uh, one, original, one of the original scripts uh, featured, uh, I guess, a heavy influence of Rain Man. Because Dustin Hoffman was also considered for Mario. Dustin Hoffman himself expressed interest in the role. And why they didn't hire him? Was he an Oscar winner for Rain Man, right? So yeah. why? He was just coming off of Rain Man, what, like five years before this? Like, why the hell wouldn't you be like, yes, Dustin Hoffman, come play Mario. It makes no sense, but fuck it. Let's do it. Yeah. Koopa, which, uh, of course, we'll talk about playing by Dennis Hopper, was also offered to Michael Keaton and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, and, and it's you, like. And Kevin Costner. Oh, my God. I mean. They just like see, cast a very wide net for this movie. They were like, hey, would anybody like to play anybody? <laughs> I think we got approached to play Mario and Luigi at one point, but it was before you grew your mustache in. So believe it or not, when I was 12, I did not have a mustache. It was not until I was 13. Uh, (laughs) This could, this movie could have been 25 different, amazingly bizarre movies that would have all been just as I believe just as amazingly bizarre. And probably every single one of them would have been just as poorly received by the public. And I think that that is going to be the the crux, the one of the big takeaways from from our conversation. I don't know that this would have ever been a widely popularly received film, no matter what. Yeah, critically for sure, definitely not. I I, I don't think there's any way this movie is coming out critically unscathed. Now, from the perspective of the people watching it and from the perspective of box office, I I also, yeah, maybe I I was going to try to defend it, but I think there's nothing you could have done to make this movie a hit, I think. It's too weird. Like, looking at the the source material, it's too weird. I think, honestly, it would have probably been more well-received by people if it was completely grounded like the rain man version maybe not a drama but put them on a fun adventure have some fantastical elements and have it be a little bit more grounded throughout maybe just have it take place all in new york and no dino hatton but that's a world we won't see i do wish i could see the version with both arnold schwarzenegger well i would see the version with arnold schwarzenegger michael keaton and kevin costner arnold schwarzenegger i imagine would have been a preview of his performance as mr freeze from batman and robin (laughs) go back and listen to that episode I think Michael Keaton would have been a much scarier version of Koopa. I think if Michael Keaton played it now, he'd be perfect for it. Yeah. Because like old Michael Keaton is terrifying, as we all saw in Spider-Man Homecoming. Kevin Costner would have been so boring as Koopa. I like Kevin Costner. I do. But go watch Waterworld. He's not like that Not our version. Not our version. Not our version. (laughs) You can't see much of it. But go back and watch Waterworld. He's so uncharismatic in that. And I'm not saying that Kevin Costner is that all the time but man uh certainly at that time he was having his hits and misses and this would have probably been a very odd choice for him it's so not his wheelhouse okay let me say one more very important thing before we get into 
the movie itself. And I know we've been talking for a long time already, but in defense of trying to adapt this based on what we were given, as we established, there are there's super Mario brothers, one, two, and three, and there's super Mario world. As far as the source material for this, I guess there had been the Captain Lou Albano Super Mario Brothers Super yeah. Show. Okay, yeah. so that had that existed. I'm not sure if any anime or any other cartoons existed in Japan or maybe Korea or something like that. I don't know. So as far as I would gather, the source material is simply like, you know, what uh, Bennett, Runty, and Solomon were handed was, all right, there's a dinosaur who kidnaps a princess, a human princess, not a dinosaur princess. And these two plumber brothers are destined or chosen or determined somehow to rescue her from this anthropomorphic, like dastardly uh, dinosaur man. And there's lots of weird, non-realistic creatures throughout this journey that try to stop them. The end... Like that's the whole yep. story. Cause I, and oh, and by the way, at the end, you just knock him off of a bridge and he falls into lava. And yeah, and then the princess is behind some cage that is directly behind him. That's it. So yeah, I can imagine there. This is very difficult to adapt because first of all, where is this world? Is this Earth? Is this another version of Earth? Is this a fantasy world? Are these plumbers from the same world? Are they subjects of this princess? Okay, he's King Koopa, King Koopa. Is he the king? Is she a princess of the same kingdom? Is he in an opposing kingdom? Well, we get the answers sort of. Now, here's a here's a good question. They alternate in the course of this movie between calling him King Koopa and calling him President Koopa. Because it, it makes also it seem like he's elected. There's like banners, yeah, like Koopa 2020 type stuff. Right, so did Koopa, was he, is this like a... It's like a Hitler situation where he was elected to the Reichstag and then I he was appointed. Like a, yeah, Hitler slash like Putin situation. And then the Mushroom King appointed Koopa Chancellor. And then he said, all right, now that I'm Chancellor, I'm also the king. Yeah, and I'm going to turn you into fungus. Yeah, um, I'm going to devolve you into fungus. You know, I don't know. And those answers don't come. They don't. Uh, and I think part of that is because Dennis Hopper was playing Koopa. He, I don't think, had any desire to answer those questions himself. So he was like, I'm just going to have fun with it. And like we said before, I think fun is the operative word of this movie. Let's just jump in because there's a lot of fun to cover. Well, the funniest thing about this is it opens with the actual video game theme from the first yes. game. Yes. That's how the movie opens. So it's it's to me, that's immediately... Uh, it, it sort of settles you in. It sort of wraps you in. You're like, oh, this is I. I have come to see a Super Mario Brothers movie, and so we get do 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 do, and then it opens with eight bit animation saying Brooklyn 65 million years ago, and there's a voiceover, and you know who did the voiceover? Oh, I do, but I'll I'll give it to you. Uh, oh, good, you'll give it to me to mispronounce. Yep. Um Dan Castellaneta, the voice of Homer Simpson himself. Yeah, he's uh, does the opening narration. One of the things that I think is funny is that it definitively states, the narrator does, that the dinosaurs were, in fact, made extinct by a meteor. It, yeah. It, it sets, I mean, we now know that for sure, which is funny about some, like, 
some choices that were made with history or alternative history in this movie. But from the moment that we start the movie, the <laughs> the debate is settled. It was definitely a meteor yep. that made the yep. dinosaurs extinct. But we find it's out certainly actually, none of that evolving into birds bullshit. Right. No, they were all of them. So they weren't. In fact, they actually they were not made extinct. It somehow created a ripple in space time. Yep. And these are my words, not theirs. Not Dan Kesselanetas. These are my words. A ripple in time created a parallel dimension where uh-huh. all of the dinosaurs went, but only the dinosaurs, because mammals remained on the Earth or in in the dimension that well, I guess was the original dimension. It's yeah. It's not a good explanation. Yeah, Mario and Luigi's world, where New York City and Manhattan exists, is Earth Prime, and and then Earth Two would be Dinohattan and the Koopa world where everybody evolved somehow on the same evolutionary track to get to the same ending point where they are humanoid and have and no lizard like qualities. And they speak English. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I think you just have to like, let that go in all of movies. Like I watch like guardians of the galaxy. I'm like, Oh, so every species ever just speaks English or star Wars. Star Wars is a little bit better about differentiating the different languages, but it is like, oh, I guess, you know, galactic standard, I think is what they call it. But it's it's a little bit of a leap that every alien race even has the capacity to speak English. Dungeons and Dragons, they did the same thing with, with common. The common right. tongue is English. But uh, I watched Mary Magdalene this afternoon. and uh, the, like, seven-hour Mary Magdalene from the 70s? No, no, no. It's, it's about two hours. It's... Rooney Mara plays oh, the, the new one. Yeah, and Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> plays <laughs> Jesus. Yes, the Joker playing Jesus. How about I'm that? Telling you, man, I I am jealous of Joaquin Phoenix. Within eighteen months, you get to play the Joker and Jesus Christ. Uh, please, I want to look like Joaquin Phoenix for eighteen months so that I can film those two movies. That sounds like fun. But anyway, <laughs> that movie, <laughs> there obviously they would have been speaking. Hebrew uh, or Aramaic or something, but no, they're speaking English now. Right. Not all, not all, not everyone's a big enough asshole like Mel Gibson to make the movie entirely in uh, Aramaic. Yeah, but you know, you can't help yourself from thinking like, oh, it's how convenient that they're all speaking English uh, two thousand years ago in Jerusalem. We have to bite off on that on almost all movies all the time. So that I can live with. The fact that the dinosaurs developed the same language as we do and ended up looking like we do, I have a harder time believing that. That they are mammals at this point, because they all have hair. Speaking of their hair, two things. First of all, Lena, who I guess Lena was completely created for this movie, the yeah. Koopa's wife. Fiona Shaw. Uh, her hair straight up looks like a Frank Miller drawing. Oh, yeah. It kind of does, like, doesn't it? it looks her whole like, character looks like a Frank Miller drawing. She is a Frank Miller drawing. So thanks, thank you, Frank Miller. Yeah, she looks awesome. She has a different costume in almost every scene. A different hairstyle slightly in every scene. And Fiona Shaw, very prolific actor. She's in all the Harry Potter movies. She's currently in Killing Eve. Great actress. I think she's great in this. And she matches Dennis Hopper's energy, which you didn't yes, think any actor would be able to do, but she, by God, does it. Okay, so let's. Uh, we, we got our prologue. We got our Sega CD graphics. We got our casting call for New York Jabroni, and they got Homer Simpson to play it. They're like, ah, who's the jabroniest? And he's like, hey, I am over here. And then we cut, from that. We, we cut to that from that to 
Princess Daisy getting dropped off in Manhattan. So her mother, who happens to look exactly like Samantha Morton, as does Daisy, transports to Earth, to Manhattan, with an egg, with the crystal shard that is the MacGuffin of the entire movie, and she leaves it on the door of a church. I didn't see a single church in all of Dinohattan. How does she know that that's the place where you leave the kid? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. That's a yeah. very good question. Take that. Yeah. Stupid movie. How? Well, yeah, she doesn't know what a church is. There is no God in Dinohattan. No, man. But apparently they worship fossil fuel. Aren't they? They are fossil fuel. That's what that's exactly. There is no fossil fuel. There can't be because the dinosaurs didn't die. I know that was the thing. I read in some excerpt from an interview from one of the directors of the writers that they were developing the society. And they're like, yeah, they worship fossil fuel. Obviously, they didn't think that through unless it's the bones of old mammals that died. Or but the, they, there aren't there aren't any mammals in there. Oh universe, yeah, because they got completely separated. Dimension. Then that means there can't be fossil fuels in our dimension. Exactly. Uh, except for I guess uh, dinosaurs that died before. Oh, it, there's just true. much less fossil fuel. I, that's I'm, my mind is kind of blown now because yeah, oh man, it it could be the if they had ever made the sequel that it's an energy crisis like problem. Oh yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's no reason but there can be no fossil fuels in the dinosaur dimension. So like that makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. It's such a weird thing and it's the, there's a lot about this movie where if you pull one thread the entire sweater falls apart. You could also <laughs> just sit down and like let it go and go with along with the ride because it is fun. Uh so we have Princess Daisy's mom who I don't believe is ever named at any point, but she oh. looked exactly like Daisy. She was Lena refers to her. Does she refer to her as the queen or is she just your mother? I think she just says your mother. Like you remind okay. me of your mother. You look just like her. And it's like, yeah, no shit. The same actress played both parts. <laughs> I did like because we don't know it yet, but she's wearing one of the coats of the Goombas. So either she killed a Goomba and took his outfit to escape or a Goomba assisted her in her escape. So I'm curious about the story there. But she drops off this metal egg container at the church at, uh, where the nuns are. And I don't know how where the eggs come from because these are all human people. I mean, I guess whatever. I guess they could lay an egg. It's about the size they of a baby. Lay. No, it's not. Oh, well, yeah, I guess it is. This particular egg is fucking enormous. And it's in like this weird metal container. And the stone, again, the MacGuffin of the movie, this uh, meteor piece that just looks like a piece of crystal that you'd buy at like the mall, left on the, the door of this church. And if I were those nuns, I would not have touched it. It looks like a bomb. It does. Like, it just, it's just a bomb. They, the, these, all these nuns who don't have any lines, by the way, are just like, yeah, well, sure. Thanks. Cool. We got a donation of this neat metal thing. It quickly opens up. There's an egg inside and the egg hatches and there's a human baby inside. We get a lot of full frontal baby girl nudity in this, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> a little uncomfortable. Says the two guys who don't have children. Every everybody else who has raised children is like, yeah, whatever. I see this yeah. a thousand times a day. Uh, like, well, maybe not. I'm not changing a thousand diapers a day. Uh, if you, if your child needs a diaper changed a thousand times a day, you might want to get that looked at. Um, we get, you know, baby left on the church doorstep, but uh, oh, this time it's in an egg and and all that stuff. But then it switches, so we get Brooklyn 65 million years ago, Brooklyn 20 years ago, and we get Brooklyn now. We meet the Mario Brothers. Holy shit, it's the Mario Brothers. These dudes are living together in an apartment. They run Mario Brothers plumbing. They've got their plungers on the wall, like guns or swords might be kept. Uh, 
I, I will say though, Luigi is clearly Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah. Well, can we talk about the casting of these two guys? There's a little bit of controversy, obviously, with Luigi casting, but let's talk about Mario first. They could not have possibly gotten a better actor to play Mario. No, I can dig that. Bob Hoskins coming off of a great string of movies, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Hook. He got that New York accent down. What a mustache on the fella. And he's so goddamn charming in this movie. I mean, both of them are. John Leguizamo was the unknown at the time. This is before he really started to blow up. It was kind of after this, I think the same year as this came out, I think Carlito's Way came out where he played Benny Blanco from the Bronx. Uh, one of my favorite moments in any movie ever. Hey, remember me, Benny Blanco from the Bronx? And he shoots Carlito. Damn, cold as ice, brother. Cold but, as ice, brother. But you and I have always loved John Leguizamo. And I'll say that at the time, though, when he was cast, I didn't care that he was Puerto Rican. I only cared <laughs> that he didn't have a mustache. I dig it. I can. Yeah. I, I feel you, man. But I kind of love it in a in a super troopers way where they where they raz. I think it was Rabbit because everybody in the patrol has a mustache and he can't grow one or he's trying to grow it in. As a guy myself who can't really grow facial hair, I can relate more to a Luigi that doesn't have a mustache. But at the time, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Plus, I'm gonna just say I'm a big Luigi guy. Uh, having Darren as a best friend, Darren. Uh, was a very willful child, very <laughs> strong-willed, and tended to want to be first player in a lot of things. Willful, uh, okay. I've, well, you know, I don't know if I've heard that one before, but I'll take it. It's a better way of saying bossy. Is oh what I'm, shit! I, kind of way, you're a bit bossy as a kid. As a kid, is it and... about to turn into? Is this about to turn into some couples therapy shit? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think it's good because you would always want to play first player, so you got to play Mario all the time. Some people would say I got stuck with Luigi, but I embrace Luigi. I love the character Luigi. I have in my room, I'll put it on our Twitter, I'll put it on our Instagram. I have 21 Luigi figurines that have Holy either been shit. given to me. Yeah, 21, baby. And I'm excited for Mario Maker 2 to come out because I got Luigi in the little builder suit. You know I'm going to get a figure of that shit. <laughs> up to 22. I have 21 Luigis on top of a shelf because he's always living in the shadow of his brother. He's not the bravest. He's not the strongest. But by God, he goes and does the thing, too. He's terrified to go face Bowser, whereas Mario takes the adventure with a plum. He jumps right into it headfirst. Luigi doesn't want to go do that. He wants to chill at his mansion that's filled with ghosts. He wants to hide. He wants to just relax. But he still gets up and he does the thing. And I love that about Luigi. I also like the color green. I also like uh, that... When they eventually differentiated them and he was the taller, leaner one, I'm not tall, nor am I lean. So maybe it's aspirational. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't play Luigi's Mansion. He, he lives there. It's, it's, it's possessive because it actually belongs to him. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a Scooby-Doo episode where he's gifted a haunted mansion. He doesn't realize it's haunted when he gets there and quickly finds out that it is littered. It's lousy with ghosts. In there, uh, and I forget the name of the scientist who I think lives on the property, but there's a scientist who builds a vacuum cleaner that is conspicuously similar to a proton pack, uh, which Luigi uses to suck ghosts into it. But I love that game, and yes, he's gifted the mansion and has to clean it out of the ghosts so he can live there. Well, this movie features absolutely zero of that. In this, we get a, a much, much younger Puerto Rican version of Luigi with no mustache who is also, I guess he's a good plumber, but he's otherwise, like, adult. 
I think no, he says at one point he's the apprentice. But plumbing seems to be the things he, the thing he actually is best at. Everything else, he's kind of like a bumbling idiot. Uh, well, he's young. He's finding himself, Darren. I, he's I learning guess. about the world, and luckily he's got his brother, mother, father figure, Mario. Yeah, well, what is he learning? He's learning from, like, tabloid uh, TV shows because he's, like, totally obsessed with, like, true crime. What's what's it called? Miraculous World or something like that? Yeah, it's Miraculous World is the TV show he's obsessed with, but he's buying, like, tabloid rags, like, old-school National Enquirer stuff, not the current stuff, which is, like, John Travolta's dying of cancer. Here are the pictures to prove it. And it's just like, no, that's just a shitty picture of a guy that looks kind of like John Travolta. Yeah, exactly. Instead... It's stories like, oh, Elvis and Jesus give birth to an alien bat baby. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I would read that. I mean, if I saw that story, that's a headline, baby. But yeah, Luigi's super into that stuff. He seems a little listless, too. Like, he hasn't quite found his place in life. Uh, he's just lounging on the couch. He isn't really motivated. Mario's the motivated one. He's much like in the games. He's the one dragging Luigi on all the jobs that they have to do and all their adventures together. It's funny, and this is another Terry Gilliam thing. It kind of made me feel uh, a little, not of the fantastical Terry Gilliam stuff, but of sort of the grounded New York stuff, uh, like Fisher King. There were there were elements of the the Mario brothers' apartment, and when they go out to dinner at the Italian restaurant. And just the way that Mario carries himself, or the way that Bob Hoskins presents that character, very Fisher King-like. It just reminds me of like, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a self-sufficient, hard scrapple Italian-American middle-aged man. I don't need nobody and nothing. And you know, like, I got no money, but somehow I get through everything. Like, I, I, I can make the best out of everything, and I got my goil. And uh, we're yeah. gonna go eat some meatballs, and uh, and it's all good. And whereas you're right, by by contrast, Luigi's kind of just like oh, like <laughs> he's like the Goofy to Mario's Mickey. You know, oh, like Mickey's one more reason for his... me to love Luigi because Goofy's <laughs> also my dude. Another another yeah. tall, lanky guy. <laughs> well, exactly. I was just like hanging around the guy who's actually got his shit together, Mickey Mouse. But okay, so so back to the movie. They're they're in their apartment. We're getting some exposition about <laughs> this strange interpretation of who the Mario brothers are. They're not just guys in colorful overalls and they have character. Like they do have character. And that's where I take issue with a lot of these people that say that there's, there's no character. There's no plot. There's no substance. There actually is. There's enough exposition in this movie and it's not all great, but it's there. It's present. It was written in, it was performed. It was shot. There is world building. Now, not all of it makes sense, but it's there. It's present. And so by the time the action begins, when the Mario brothers are called to do their job as plumbers at some construction site, we already know a lot about them. So yeah, they speed to this construction site. It's half construction site, half archaeological dig. It's like, I don't know, there some company that apparently, Scapelli. Yeah, the Scapelli um, brothers. Like, Which just reminds some... me of Ghostbusters 2. It's the Scalari brothers! <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I sent them to the chair! But... So anyway, the, I guess this... Uh, okay, there's two things going on here. One, how could two Italian-American brothers who live this hard-knock life in this little apartment that they share ever compete with this multinational, because Paris is one of the cities listed on the side of the Scapelli. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't even notice man. that. Yeah, it's like Paris, Palermo, something or other, and then Brooklyn. Not New York City. Not New York City. Brooklyn. 
Well, that's their that's their flagship place. That's where they're I'm, based out of, <laughs> I guess. But how are these? How are the Mario Brothers in any way in the same realm of competition as the Scapellis? I don't know, but they are. Secondly, I imagine this was a Scapelli construction project. The, all of a sudden, dinosaur bones were discovered, and all of a sudden, the the students from NYU, led by this chick named Daisy, are coming in, and she is the damn boss of this project. And she is not taking shit from this very intimidating, very scary, very straightforwardly antagonistic gangster Scapelli. He's a legit mob boss. Like I when when it's like Scapelli plumbing, I know that the mob and unions are very tied together. Uh, you would also have to assume Mario and Luigi, or at least Mario, being that Luigi's the apprentice, are union guys because I believe there's something about Luigi even says that a job is non-union in Dino Hatton at some point, and Mario's like, uh, <laughs> uh, like, like, oh, those non-union jobs, uh, you can't trust them. So this is a union guy. So I don't know why Scapelli doesn't just hire the Mario Brothers, but uh, this guy is he's a just douchebag. That's he's why. just a legit ass gangster. And I don't mean that in a good way. He is an asshole. He threatens Daisy. He is very, as you said, intimidating. And Daisy, to her credit, does not step down. I would have kowtowed to him in an instant. But she stood her ground. She's like, fuck it. I'm going to go get more security from these guys. They show up in their limo. And I thought it was weird because they showed up in their limo. And when they get out of the limo, people started cheering. I don't know who was cheering for this fucking <laughs> asshole. Uh a, if he's Why not a mob there boss, people there anyway. I know who's there. If he's not a mob boss, then he is at very best like a CEO of a corporation. Who's cheering for any of that? Uh, <laughs> and he's coming to shut down like a archaeological dig. Like no, nobody's into that. Uh, I don't know what Scapelli was building there anyway, but yeah, it's interrupted by Daisy. She goes to call for help from the uh, university and runs into Luigi after Mario and Luigi, their job that they got a call on, gets taken over by the Scapellis. It bothered me so much this time, a little detail I had never noticed before. Their van uh, that they drive around in breaks down, Mario and Luigi's van. Mario goes into the, the bodega to get some water to put into the radiator or whatever. And he's like, ah, check on our messages. See if we have any jobs. Luigi's checking and he hears this message. There's like a department store guy. That's like, please send all the people you have, like get here now. It's a huge job. And it would have bailed them out of their financial <laughs> crisis immediately. But what happens is Luigi sees Daisy walking up. He, he, he you know, goes, Aruga, and his tongue rolls out and his eyes grow big. Like it's the mask. He hangs up the phone, hands it over to Daisy, and I'm like, Luigi, that is not good business practice, you know? That is the reason why you guys are in this pickle that you're in now. Not, it's not just the Scapellis. This is a, a, a prison of your own design. Exactly. And you're never going to get out of that tiny apartment if you don't go help that department store out. Uh, but he helps Daisy, and he's just in love. He is so googly-eyed. And it's John Leguizamo so charming every all of his interactions with daisy are very respectful and sweet and sure it's very like star-crossed lovers like romeo and juliet like love at first sight but it's just so like genuine and nice that i love it i think it's great it's very very sweet but at the same time that now we were this girl that we don't even know we just met her she's an archaeologist or she's an archaeology student I don't know. She might be the professor. We don't know. She's the boss of this dig. So who knows what, what she is? Do we ever find that out? Like, is she a student or is she I a think, professor? I think, 
I think she's a student, but she's running. She's like the head of the dig, you know? Okay. So not only is Scapelli now a threat, but also we see these two very strange looking dudes chasing her around at a distance. And they're like confused by hot dogs. And, and of course, we're talking about Iggy and Spike. Iggy played by Fisher Stevens. And the great a, Fisher Stevens. <laughs> the great, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Spike, played by Richard Edson. And if you don't Less know who Richard Edson great. is... Richard Edson. Oh, no, he's totally great. Oh, he's, he's great. Don't get me wrong. He played uh, the valet, the, most famously played the valet from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, who goes on a joyride in Cameron's dad's car. Yeah, and Richard Edson would appear in some Jim Jarmusch movies, and uh, he's sort of a rock and roller type. I know that he played music in addition to to being an actor, and uh, he's got an amazing face. Uh, both Fisher Stevens and Richard Edson, character actors who are perfect as these two, as we will find out, they are, they are cousins to one another. They are also, I don't know if that means they're brothers. I know. I think they're cousins. Actually. They're, they're all yeah. They're cousins. So they're all they, cousins. So there must be Indian like Spike. three siblings to the Koopa family, but they are also cousins <laughs> to King Koopa. And uh, the reason that they look so weird, the air quotes here on weird, is one because it's 1993, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that wasn't so weird in 1993. Their looks actually kind of fit. But two, they're supposed to be standing out because these are lizard people. These yeah. are these are I would aliens. Say, honestly, their haircuts and everything, and the way they were dressed, they would fit in totally with. 2019 Brooklyn, by the way. They're just oh, like yeah. Brooklyn hipsters now, but they're acting so odd. Fisher Stevens, by the way, uh, one of my favorite actors. Uh, to me, he is mostly Ben Javetti from the <laughs> Short Circuit series. I love that series so much. I know I've talked about it on the show before, and he is uh, fine in this. I think he and Iggy and Spike are from a different movie, perhaps. Than uh, they're in a different movie than Mario and Luigi. Mario and Luigi ultimately are played pretty grounded. I personally think that Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo, as I've said before, did a great job. I think Samantha Morton did a great job as Daisy. I think all the people from the Koopa world are so over the top, so in a kid's movie that they feel totally out of step with the rest of the movie. And specifically at this beginning, which is very grounded of the Mario brothers just trying to get a job. Uh, and all of a sudden you have these wacky weirdos following them around. It's like, what is happening? But they're enjoyable. Oh, another thing that's a little out of step with the tone of the movie, I think, is the Alan Silvestri score. Did you pick up on any of that? Most definitely. I, this score is so zany that it's annoying. I, yeah. I can't. I actually cannot give you a reason why the score is great. Yeah, I mean, look, it's I love Alan Silvestri. I think... Obviously, Back to the Future is one of the greatest top scores of all time. Here's my chance to bring up Leah Thompson in this episode. <laughs> she exists. We love her. But no, Alan Silvestri score for the Back to the Future trilogy, one of my favorites of all time. That is untouchable, unassailable. And I think in another movie, this score would have been okay. Like, why they didn't just do an orchestral version of the Mario Brothers theme at any point, I'll never know. Thank you very much. But yeah, it, it really is as if the studio said, we need a kid's movie, and we got a Terry Gilliam weirdo, fucked up, dystopian movie. Uh, hey, Alan, how can you help? He's like, I got just the thing for you. Boom, 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 boom. 
And all the music is like that. All of it's goofy. It sounds like it's coming from like a exactly. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie, which he may have also done the score for that. But... He probably did. Well, like Hulk Hogan would say, the score sounds like it was done by like a oompa-pa band, dude. <laughs> you won't be able to play a glockenspiel. A honky-tonk man and Greg the Hammer Valentine. You're not going to be strumming on your guitars, dude. You're going to be playing a, a flugelhorn and a glockenspiel in an oompa-pa band. Dude, uh, brother. Dude, well, that's our. I'm Hulk, I'm Hulk Hogan. Uh, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time, if for no other reason than to get you to do your Hulk Hogan impression. Uh, <laughs> glad you could share that. So, yeah, they're playing Glockenspiel and. Uh, <laughs> yes, Alan Silvestri is playing a flugelhorn and a Glockenspiel. A flugelhorn and a Glockenspiel for this movie, and it's goofy <laughs> as hell. And it's I don't terrible. mean my boy Goofy from Disneyland, because he's my bro. The score is terrible. The soundtrack. Uh, is actually pretty good. Like yeah. uh, it's got some interesting songs. It's got um, most notably. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's see if I can prompt the the response that I would love to get from you here in the in the the Boom Boom Club. I guess we yeah. get the we, we see two or three complete songs play out in there at various times in the movie. But at one point we get a George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic fame. A George Clinton cover version of the was not was song um walk the dinosaur oh hell yeah love that song okay so we're in dino hatton and we've got walk the dinosaur playing in the club what would you call that john uh a hat on a hat (laughs) yes (laughs) yes look i love that song and i remembered it very clearly playing in the movie i remember it at the time even it bugged me because i'm like why is there a song about a dinosaur in this world inhabited by dinosaurs, I can buy that maybe the reptiles evolved to become humanoid, to be exactly like humans, to somehow grow hair, and I guess be warm-blooded. That I can accept. I can accept that they all speak English. I cannot accept that the song Walk the Dinosaur exists in both worlds <laughs> in the exact same form. Though I love that song, it, it just like makes my my brain melt a little bit. But that song, if you if you don't know it, it's open the door, get on the floor, everybody walk the dinosaur. It's a great song. It's super it's fun. And the George Clinton version is the exact pretty much version of the was not was song. But George Clinton makes it a little extra funky. So is there like a uh, is there a song in our current universe that's like yeah, we're going to go walk a person. <laughs> Open the door, yes. get on the floor, everybody walk a human. Like that Yeah, that's a doesn't, that, that doesn't even make sense. Less of a ring to it. So, it did kind of bug me then, it bugs me now, but whatever. I like the song, so back to the movie. Back to the the the, the actual plot here. They they go to dinner because yeah, Luigi immediately wins over Daisy. Like she is at, immediately somehow as much as in love with Luigi as he is with her. And they go out to dinner. Uh, this is the fish, one of the Fisher King parts to me. Not Fisher Stevens, but uh, right. Terry Gilliam's Fisher King, the film with Jeff Bridges and uh, Robin Williams. with uh, Mercedes Rule, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, we instead we get uh, Mario's girlfriend, Daniela, uh, in the Mercedes Rule part. Not quite as strong uh, of a presence as Mercedes no, Rule. Because that uh, character in the Fisher King was great. Killer, killer. Daniela, uh, though, is, you know, she's a nice girl. She's a nice Goyle, uh, a, nice a Brooklyn gal uh, on Mario's arm. And, uh, yeah, they go to dinner, and then uh, Luigi and Daisy start running around like they're 14 years old, running around New York City, and they end up at the 
the dig site and the Scapelli sabotage it. And it's flooding, so... Scapelli sabotage it, by the way, wearing their Scapelli uniforms, just so we know exactly who did the job. Because Daisy's, like, explaining to Luigi, she's actually pointing out that the dinosaur bones that they're uncovering have started to evolve, have started to gain opposable thumbs, and she's like, wow, this is a great discovery. Then water explodes behind them, and the two Scapelli jabronis run out, very obviously clad in the Scapelli garb. Uh, let me just say real quick, we didn't touch on it in the very beginning. There's a shot in the very beginning when Daisy's mother's running down the same tunnel that we'll revisit several times in this movie. There's always a very bright light at the end of the tunnel backlighting it. Beautiful location. Like, they obviously loved it. Uh, the directors obviously loved it. The DP loved it. But they shot the shit out of this set. Uh, the tunnel set the underground area where they eventually go through a portal to Dino Hatton. Uh, even the plumbing looks just amazing. Yeah, um, it's a very it's a very cool set. It's believable. It is otherworldly, so to speak, in its subterranean appearance. It's not something that you see every day. Doesn't look fake. Uh, beautiful, I think, is a good way to describe it. Yeah, it's just really well done. Uh, back to Daniela for a moment. I remember thinking then and now, I was like, damn, what did Mario do to, to nab her? She's a, she's a looker. <laughs> Yeah, especially when I was a kid, I was like, Jesus, Mario, good on you, bud. Speaking of beautiful, Daniela is beautiful, while Bob Hoskins, bless his heart, is a bit of a troglodyte, uh, at least in comparison. Jesus, that's a little harsh, but okay, I'm with you. This is a very pretty, shapely, young brunette woman in the prime of her life, and Bob Hoskins is a little bit broke down. I mean, I love him. But I mean, just but no, he's very, a little pudgy. Very, he's very bald. physical mismatch. That's all. But but Jesus, what charm! Like you can oh, tell, no. he just charmed, literally charmed the pants off of her, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> because they, I mean, they honestly have a very natural rapport. Like I Dude. buy that these two are in a relationship. And you mentioned before we actually get to the Scapelli. Thing. There's actually a moment where Iggy and Spike are following around Daisy, but they get confused between the different mammals. And so they nab Daniela because we haven't mentioned that there's a story going around where girls are getting uh, abducted in Brooklyn. There's four or five girls missing, and now Daniela is one of them, just as Mario leaves her behind at her apartment. Which also, he broke the cardinal rule. You always, when you drop a woman off from a date, uh, you stay until they go inside. That's just being a good gentleman. But I guess Mario is a little bit relaxed in the relationship. Maybe it's been a few months. He's not staying over for the night, so... He's got to get back and change Luigi's diapers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously. So, eventually Luigi does call Mario, and they go to fix... The Scapelli sabotage, and man, oh man, it's the first time in the history of these characters we get to see the Mario Brothers plumbing. Holy cannoli! They're using wrenches, they're using all the tools in the tool belt, they're working as a team, and it's really fun. And again, believable. So you said they're using wrenches, and they're using... All the tools in the tool belt. Is that just because you can't think of even a second tool? Well, I mean, you don't really use hammers or mallets or a sawzall in a, in a plumbing situation. So, you do uh, use that weird little thing that Luigi ends up using at the very end of the movie. Yeah, which he names it and I forgot what it is already. I also can't remember what it's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but, Iggy and Spike show up because clearly they, this when they kidnapped Daniela, it wasn't the first girl they incorrectly kidnapped. They're the ones responsible for all these missing Brooklyn girls, exactly. which we do get foreshadowing of because Luigi, that's part of his 
like true crime obsession is he's got a tabloid that reveals that this is happening. But now Iggy and Spike are, I guess, making one last effort to come find Daisy. And they do because she happens to be right outside the fucking portal at this point (laughs) with the Mario brothers. Iggy and Spike knock out the Mario brothers from which they instantly recover, by the way. Right. Instantly. Like they are out cold. And then immediately awake. Well, that's kind of how getting knocked out actually works, usually. You're not out for hours most of the time if you get knocked out. Watch, like, UFC or something. Somebody will get knocked out, and, like, 15 seconds later, they're back on their feet again. I've never been knocked out from a hit, but back in high school, we were playing the game, the very dangerous game, the most dangerous game, perhaps, where you uh, lean up on a on a wall and have a friend push your chest in. You exhale all of your air and have a friend push in your chest you do it for 10 seconds, and when they let go, you're supposed to pass out. Well, guess what? I picked my strongest friend that wasn't you. This was during a theater rehearsal or something, and he pushed me on the wall, and I blacked out. It's the only time I've ever blacked out in my life. It was terrifying, and yeah, hey, John, uh, I was only you know, out for maybe 10 seconds. Kids have died from that. You you realize. I know, because I was like, yeah, bullshit, because nobody could actually make anyone pass out. And I was like, yeah, this is dumb. This won't happen. And I got Cleveland, uh, RIP, Cleveland Harrington the third to do it. And he was a very big, strong dude. And I was like, just go for it, man. Just do it. And he did it. And by God, I passed out. And I think when I woke up from it, I was like, shit, I should not have done that. That was a bad idea. Yeah, but, that's a bad idea. But guess what? I lived, and so did Mario and Luigi. Their version of <laughs> Cleveland Harrington the Third was Iggy and Spike. Uh, so they go running after Daisy. She's getting pulled through a, a seemingly a, just a sheer rock wall because they're in the caverns, the giant chasm underneath New York. Yeah, there's a there's an underground Grand Canyon apparently. Yep. And it's terrifying. And they eventually go into the portal. Well, uh, Daisy's face oh, comes out and some OG CG effects. Dude, that looks like some Sega CD stuff. Oh, I didn't even mention that the very the prologue, the animated prologue, looked totally like a Sega CD game, which I love. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what's funny, though? I think if you think about it, the way that Daisy's face looked coming through the portal was very similar to uh, when we first meet Luigi and he's sitting on the couch Oh, and yeah. he has that little thing that they used to sell at Spencer's that 80s kids were obsessed with, where it was like a thousand little pins. Yeah. And then you would like push them up against something and it would push the impression to a glass, uh, an opposing glass surface and like leave that shape. Uh, and Luigi's doing it on his face. And then it ends up like five minutes later looking exactly the the computer effects look exactly like that when Daisy's trying to escape from the portal. Yeah. That was one more moment that endeared me to this version of Luigi was the fact that he had one of those pin <laughs> art things. Cause as you remember, I definitely had one of those and I remember he did that and I was like, I, I have one of those in my room. I'm just like <laughs> Luigi too. Cause we would constantly do that where we would put our face into it or more often than not, we would just flip a bird and leave the impression of flipping the bird to each other. Classic Classic. teenager humor. Yes, Daisy comes back through the portal. Luigi, man, he is is sprung, as they say, or at least as they used to say. He goes jumping in after her, like throwing caution to the wind. He's playing the role of Mario in this case because Mario's like, hell no, I'm not doing that. Hey, what do you want from me? (laughs) But eventually Mario, in a very funny bit of physical humor, Bob Hoskins is trying to determine whether or not he wants to make the leap. And uh, he eventually slips, but it, the couple of seconds beforehand where he's like questioning like whether or not he should, he like 
reaches out for the wall, reaches back. It's a nice one shot that's just kind of funny and good physical humor. He slips and falls, and even though he slips forward, when we cut to the shot of him going into the portal, he's completely upside down. So I don't know how that worked uh, in terms of... You know how it works is terrible physics in a lot of movies uh, where anytime somebody falls where they're like, they go head over heels, they seem to go up for some reason. Yeah. If he had fallen, he would have fallen down. He wouldn't fall... He didn't hit a trampoline. It's like gravity didn't exist, and he just inverted and then flew well, upside down through the hole. You know what? We don't know anything about interdimensional travel. We don't know how the physics work in that space. So for all we know, gravity could be upended for that small you know, amount of space. It, absolutely. It might just be no gravity there. So yeah. they they all emerge on the other side. Oh, no, no. We're not skipping over the sequence of him actually falling <laughs> through the portal. Okay. No, sir. No, thank you. It's... A very elaborate CG creation. Is there, did it remind you of anything? Perhaps did it conjure images of another great 90s adaptation? I don't know. No, it's just like hell to me. Very hell. It's quite a hellscape. You're, you're in the right area. Maybe it's a character that we really appreciated from a comic book artist that we idolized. Spawn? Yes. Okay. That sequence of Mario falling through looks so much like the shitty version of Hell from Spawn. <laughs> all we were missing was like a ton of computer generated spawns all doing goofy shit. Because oh, that's what God. that is. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, a shitty version of Hell, that's got to be extra bad. Because, I mean, it's already Hell. Now it's <laughs> yeah, a shitty I, version. Now it's a shitty version. So it's not like Bill and Ted Hell, which is very well thought out and very well executed. It is shitty hell. And no, it's not just a clever name. Wayne's, <laughs> right. World, Wayne's World reference, everybody. So yeah, so anyway, they <laughs> fall through. And I, my question is, Daisy's face comes back through that portal several times. When Mario jumps through, he goes through this huge chasm, this huge hellscape, and then comes out the other end. How the fuck did Daisy poke her head back out a couple of times? Not absolutely no, no reasoning behind that. I it don't understand. making no sense. No, and again, what are the physics that Mario follows at slow speed, by the way, a direct yeah. path that is not going to result in him in him splattering like frog baseball? He just slowly kind of meanders the car- through the space, cartwheels through this, again, hellscape that is neither liquid nor gaseous. I don't know what it is. It's, I don't know weird. what it is. Yeah, yeah, very problematic. But I wanted to, you were obviously just trying to gloss over that. And I was like, no, sir. No, thank you. We got to talk about that. And then they just pop out on the other end at a random spot. And and finally we see Dino Hatton and all its glory. Yeah, it's 50s style cars running on some sort of electric grid along the streets. There's lots of uh, tiny dinosaurs on the ground, I guess, that are supposed to be like this dimension's version of rats in New York City. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of lizard-like people and then like half lizard or quarter lizard people like they're mutants people that are not quite evolved yeah. there's somebody there's somebody with a stroller that's got an egg in it yeah that was funny it's, actually all right here's the i thing. feel like that joke would have been better but somebody tries to rob her or somebody tries to go up to the stroller and she's like get away from my baby i feel like they could have left that and just have the shot of a lady walking through dino Hatton with an egg and a stroller that's funny enough i think exactly it didn't need to bring more attention to it There's also one point, I'm sorry, before we move on, there's one point where, I think it may be later, but it's where there's food, and a guy is putting a trio of burnt lizards onto a bun, 
So are we to believe that these this like cannibalistic culture, like they are lizards? I mean, I right. guess we eat other mammals, so I guess it's maybe like that. But well, it just seems like the genetic tree, family tree here is a little bit smaller close. than mammals. Yeah. Well, they're also weird. All these people seem semi-wicked. It's almost like they would eat another person if they could get away with it. It's truly cannibalistic. So these very devolved little like, uh, and these are very small lizards. These are like the ones that run around in your garden. Yeah. That's uh, what he's putting on a bun instead of a hot dog. Yeah. My cat loves to chase that type of lizard. She she never can catch one. She's too slow, but she loves to chase after him. Well, my cat is uh, the the bane of all lizards in my neighborhood because I get one at least one a week on my back step oh. uh, that, that Nico presents and is like, here you go. That means he loves you. Now, the lizards aren't that bad. It's when he leaves birds that are like a quarter his size. I'm like, how did you do that? It's now impressive. I also have to dispose of this bird. So the Mario brothers, they immediately realize they aren't in Brooklyn but it's not just that they aren't in on Earth. It's that they aren't in Brooklyn, as if they've never left Brooklyn. Yeah. Because Mario ponders if it's possible that Manhattan could have possibly changed this much in, quote, a couple of weeks. And then a few minutes later, there's a joke about the Bronx. And then toward the end of the movie, uh, spoiler alert, when they rescued the girls... Daniela says that one of the girls is from Queens, but she's all right. Yeah, I love that. I kind of love it too, but I don't know. Not being a New Yorker, we're like New York people just loving this like inter-borough roasting. That's what I was going to say. It's like very inside baseball to New Yorkers. Very inside baseball to Brooklynites. The directors are both British. Are These writers, are they from Brooklyn? Like where did all this come from? Either that or they were like, well, how can we make a more New Yorky? I know. They hate the other boroughs. I get it. <laughs> I mean, I, having been to New York a few times, I can say that like I've yet to go to Brooklyn because it's a pain in the ass to get there. Uh, usually we land at JFK, which is in Queens, and that's a pain in the ass to get into Manhattan from there. So if I lived in Brooklyn, I might not go there very often myself. I love Brooklyn. Brooklyn is 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 pretty fun. I do want to go. Uh, I know there's a lot of cool stuff there, and I do want to check it out. But our friends live in uh, the Upper East, West Side, Upper Something Side, and Harlem. So that's usually where we, we stick to that area, generally. Well, the Upper West Side? That is where Janos uh, <laughs> Ghostbusters do. That's where yeah, he's indeed. That's um, where he's from. That's, that is where he's from. Uh, so they're in Dino Hatton and yeah, I love that Mario's like, oh yeah, this is just regular Manhattan, but it's been a couple weeks because we're still living in that like pre Giuliani <laughs> cleanup phase of New York where it was still kind of scummy, disgusting and dangerous. So I love that Mario's like, oh yeah, this is, this is just Times Square. This is fine. Uh, with fungus everywhere, with, uh, psychotic extras at every corner with these wacky ass police cars that all have back hose basically welded to the fronts aka ramps which we see a lot of ramp work <laughs> later in the movie it's uh it's a really fun interpretation of the city and honestly i feel like it's so glorious like when you finally see the whole thing it's amazing it's art directed within an inch of its life and back to uh morton and jenkel being insane directors apparently everything in dino hatton could do what it is meant to do like, for instance, there was a donut shop that we see one shot of that's got, like, a Porky Pig-esque sign 
that I think a fireball goes through at some point. Apparently that shop could make donuts, which is insane. Why? Sweet. I mean, yeah, awesome. I'm who sure need, those extras. Who needs, who needs craft services when you got a donut shop on set? Fresh ass donuts, brother. But why? Why would they do that? You have, like it's so stupid. easy to not do that. Uh, but yeah, apparently like all the different facades were not really just facades. They were the real deal. So I think that's an interesting factoid. I think it's uh, unnecessary. And well, then just, I have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, one of the shops you see in the background, which is a nod to the game, is Hammer Brothers Tattoo Parlor. The Hammer Brothers, of course, the classic Mario villains. In this version, they the Hammer Brothers own a tattoo shop. I wonder if you could get an actual tattoo in that shop while they were filming this movie. I, I bet you could. I bet people did, probably. And uh, there's also Thwomps, which I don't even know what Thwomps was supposed to be. But another There's so uh, much... There's so much thwomp in this movie for there yeah. not to be any actual thwomp. Yeah, I have no idea what thwomp was supposed to be. I guess it's just like a corporation or something in this Maybe. world. But yeah, Mario and Luigi are chasing after Daisy. This is definitely when the movie becomes a lot wackier and a lot more like madcap is the, the word that kept springing to mind. Like everything is so loud and frantic and frenetic, which could be a good thing in some cases. But I think that they were like, all right, well, as long as we just cut really fast and all the scenes are less than a minute long, no one will have time <laughs> to get bored. I think that's basically what they were going for once they hit Dino Hatton. Because we meet King Koopa at this point and Fiona Shaw's Lena. Koopa, he's dipping his hands into like a weird like wax Purell thing because for whatever reason, I'm sure this is a pure Dennis Hopper edition. Koopa is a germaphobe, which is an interesting thing i guess but like that gets cast away by the end of the movie anyway um, he also not only is he a germaphobe he also uh if here's a very small detail the fingernails on his left hand are long but only on his left hand i didn't even notice that and it's and now i know that some guitar player especially acoustic guitarists they will grow their fingernails out on one hand which is usually the right hand because almost all guitars are played right-handed. So I'm looking at Dennis Hopper and I'm like, is he a left-handed guitar player who was like, I'm not going to cut my fingernails for this fucking movie. Yeah. Or was it so, like some weird uh, something he did for Koopa? There's no attention brought to it. But, but it's it, like Jimi Hendrix, Paul McCartney, hands. Kurt Cobain, Dennis Hopper, all the great left-handed guitarists. <laughs> but like every, I mean, you know, there's no attention called to it, but when you do see his hands, it's like, Okay, one of your hands has long fingernails and the other one doesn't. What is up with that? Well, it's and so also can... what is up with his hair, which in no way looks like Donald Trump's hair, but totally looks like Donald Trump's hair. It is hair. so his whole part is so evocative of Trump. It's insane. It's crazy that it is that part in a lot of different ways. But yeah, it's the perfect Trump uh, yellow goldish. What's that? Oh, I was just gonna. You were talking about his hair specifically. I was just going to say it's a total Trump prologue. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. But yeah, his his actual hair is that weird yellow blonde. Yeah, it's very odd. And I'm actually surprised. Like, this seems like the kind of movie Trump might have been in in that time. Because <laughs> that was like the height of his cameo phase of his career. And like the Home Alone 2s. I think, I think Home Alone 2 came out, what, a year before this? So... He very well could have been like in a boardroom with Dennis Hopper because uh, similar to Trump, Dennis Hopper is like 
a dictator politician businessman like all wrapped into one uh, again very trumpy so i feel like there i don't know if there was a boardroom scene at any point but i feel like there could have very well have been one where maybe uh koopa's in charge of either the koopa corporation or the thwomp corporation whatever right. and speaking of donald trump mario and luigi are home alone 2 lost in dino hatton right now oh that's adorable <laughs> <laughs> They have lost Daisy. They're in this confusing new world. They're looking at lizards on uh, on hot dog buns. Little old ladies are coming up to them on the street. The lady tells that they're not from around here. And what does she do, Darren? Shoots them with a stun gun. Yeah. It looks, it looks like a giant vibrator. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It doesn't look like a stun gun. I think it's white. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very odd. She's mugging them for the shard or the rock. Yeah. Uh, because she needs, she needs, not wants, she needs Koopa coins. Right. Which I like that. I like that there's coins involved. We failed to mention that when Daisy came back through the portal to get Luigi to follow her, the necklace that she's been wearing with the shard of the comet that destroyed the dinosaurs was hanging from her neck. Luigi was reaching out for Daisy, but all I could get a handle on was the shard itself. So this now has become what everybody's after. And we don't even find out what it's for until maybe like halfway through the movie. But we just know everybody wants the thing for whatever reason. And now this old lady wants it because she needs Koopa coins, man. But Mario and Luigi, they don't have Koopa coins. So she shocks Mario with the with her dildo. And, <laughs> and uh, to be fair, any time an old lady breaks out her dildo, I'm shocked. I, yeah, you and me both, pal. But this is one of the many times that I think Bob Hoskins was injured on the movie. He had a well-documented series of injuries on this. He broke a finger early on. Uh, I think I believe in the Mario van, they were shooting some sort of chase sequence, and, and John Leguizamo accidentally slammed the sliding door of the back of the truck on his finger, broke his finger. Uh, I believe he had some broken ribs. He said he almost drowned at one point. He was electrocuted. Uh, he, John Leguizamo at one point broke his leg. It's an insane amount of injuries on this thing. Some later on in the movie, some people almost died. Uh, this movie was fucked up and gnarly as hell. Yeah. Did I read correctly? There, Bob Hoskins almost drowned. I don't know at what point he drowned because there is apparently half an hour worth of unreleased deleted scenes uh, that oh, haven't even ended the, up in the movie. The, did you say the drown part? Yeah, just now. Wow, I did not hear you. I, I listed uh, a litany of other injuries that he went through, <laughs> so it's okay if you missed one. So the old lady in the dildo, not to be confused with the old man <laughs> in the sea. <laughs> uh, I don't remember studying that one in high school. <laughs> she gets approached by a very large, bosomy woman who gorilla press slams her off of like a i don't know a, one of the multi levels of the city the the mezzanine of <laughs> of dino hatton i guess uh the, yeah she like, lifts her up above her head and just like throws her face first into a cab that's passing below basically trying to murder the old lady yeah and it should have but she immediately pops back up unharmed Shocks the driver and causes a multi-car accident. Uh-huh. With her dildo. Don't don't leave that little no, detail out. With the out. dildo. Right. With the dildo. 
And so this woman, uh, we'll later find out, is Big Bertha, the the big uh, woman. And she's got the rock. Now, the old lady doesn't have it. She puts it around her neck. Puts it around her neck, and then she flies away. Or jumps away. Jump boots, which I I get why they put them into the movie, because obviously jumping is a huge part of what Mario is. In fact, when he was first developed by Shigeru Miyamoto, he was known in w- during the Donkey Kong era as Jumpman. That was his Jumpman, name. Jumpman, Jumpman, Jumpman. Yeah. So it makes sense that they have that. And I think it's cool that jumping is such a big part of the movie and that the jump boots existed. And they're just a neat prop. They look cool. Uh, but Big Bertha, is that a character from the games? I don't think Big Bertha is. We get... In this movie, we get a bullet bill, sort of. We get a babam, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think Big Bertha is an actual character from the Mario I universe. Didn't, I didn't think so, unless it's like some obscure villain that we're not sure about or don't remember from that original thing. So she may be like Lena, like a wholly original creation. Uh, not wholly like the nuns from the beginning <laughs> of the movie, but an entirely uh, new creation for the series. But I always really liked her costume. She doesn't say a lot in the movie, but she plays an important yeah, that's role. That's kind of weird. Yeah, but I love her costume. It's all red. It's got all these like foam spikes all over it. She's just a badass lady. Like she's I was cool. Gonna, I was gonna say the the best adjective for her is badass. She's so, like taller by several inches than either of the actors because John Leguizamo and Bob Hoskins are both pretty diminutive. In fact, I believe almost every actor in this movie is taller than them, including the character we're about to meet, Toad, who is as tall as if you put both Leguizamo and Hoskins on top of each other. <laughs> Okay, uh, <laughs> originally, this is one of the casting, uh, the near casts that we didn't mention earlier. The original choice to play Toad was Tom Waits. That would have been pretty neat, I think. The Tom that, Waits instead was like, nah, man, I'm going to wait around until I can be in Mystery Men for one scene. He's, he was like, I would be in Super Mario Bros., but I'm too busy smoking. <laughs> yes. I'm too busy having this voice. <laughs> we don't get uh, Tom Waits. We do get Mojo Nixon, Who however. I've never heard of before or since. He's like a, I don't know. I, I called, uh, actually I referred to my, I used to refer to my parents as this, which is like Southern hippies, like, like mm-hmm. real, real Southern, but like from the flower generation. So I called them, I used to call them hip billies. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. Is he, like, like a member of the band The Black Crows? I feel like those guys are hitbillies for sure. Yeah, kind of like that, but but more, instead of Georgie, instead of Georgie, instead of georgia Oh, boy, instead of Georgie. <laughs> Ooh, instead, boy, Georgie. Inst- and Alabama of, and Louisiana. Instead of having, like, <laughs> and a Tennessee. South- hey, what about Kentucky-y? <laughs> yeah, that, that too. Instead of that southeastern version more he's more of a texas version like he's sort of like a like a kinky friedman or like uh butthole surfers like a, i guess basically the kind of creature that comes from austin texas they're very texas but they're very not texas at the same time uh, but anyway mojo nixon was uh not an actor he was a musician which again they wanted a musician and tom waits or before they wanted then they got mojo nixon did they know from the beginning that they wanted Toad to be musical of some sort? But I, I, I guess so. I mean, there's it plays out later in the movie. Uh, it actually pays off that he's a musician, like at the very, very end. But it does seem like 
wow, they were really bending over backwards to fit that aspect of the character. <laughs> right. So he's like a, I don't know, is he is he a bum? Like, is he a hobo or something? Yeah, he's he, like busking out in front of, like, the donut shop or whatever when he gets arrested for anti-Koopa propaganda, basically. Like, anti-Koopa songs. Yeah, the police are total, like, these are total, like, stormtroopers. Like, these yeah. are... These are Gestapo uh, level cops, all of them. There's like, there's no good cops. They're all like hardcore Nazi type cops and very, very quick to arrest Toad for singing a protest song on the street. A protest song that is meant to simultaneously cheer up the Mario brothers who, who he has just met. They, the cops arrest Toad and they call him Toad. So clearly they, he's got a history. (laughs) Yeah. He's got a rap sheet. Whether it's earned or not, um, but apparently protest songs in and of themselves are illegal. But Mario is outraged by this like injustice, and so he tries to interfere. At which point, the cops realize these are the plumbers because Koopa has issued a plumber alert. Because apparently, no other plumbers exist in all nope. of Dino Hatton. But it's the kind of world that if another guy happened to be a plumber that happened to have his belt on. They would have arrested that person, too, and thrown him in jail and probably just locked him away and lost the key. And that guy would have just rotted in jail forever because that's the kind of world, the kind of terrible <laughs> dystopian place we're living in and Dino Hatton, bruh. But no, I loved I actually love the moment where Mario and Luigi stand up for Toad because they don't know this guy. They don't know him from Adam. That That's what makes him heroes, not the jumping around and, you know, saving the day necessarily. It's the little things that make them the heroes of this tale. Next, we get uh, worth the price of admission alone is, okay, they've been arrested, so now they, they got to be booked. And yeah. it would not have been a 1980s movie if we didn't have some long, drawn-out scene at, like, of, of somebody being booked. It, like <laughs> It was a favorite of like the late 80s, early 90s. Like I'm going to go ahead and say this. I've never been arrested. It may be exactly like this, but I'm going to venture to say it's nothing like this when you are arrested yeah. and booked. Well, obviously, there's like a hooker like rubbing her stiletto heel into a cop's shoulder while he's taking their names. Okay, In the most famous... all about? And the most infamous scene of the entire movie, the thing that most people take away from this movie, that most people remember about this movie, is this booking scene. But yes, as far as the heel goes, I think it's just another one of those Terry Gilliam-esque details of let's look at this debauchery that takes place. Even a a hall of justice, as this is supposed to be, (laughs) there's some weird like dominatrix shit going on. And uh, that cop who apparently is every cop because he is like (laughs) Koopa's main guy. He's the guy at the front desk booking him. He brings him to the meeting with Koopa. He's a, he's a famous character actor. I I don't have his name in front of me, but he's been in everything under the sun. For sure. He was, he's in all of Christopher Guest's movies. Like his mustache sticks out of my memory. There's also a guy who is in a bunch of stuff that's working at the devolution chamber. Uh, He's like the scientist running a lot of things, but anyway, just a couple of random, like, character actors who pop in there but yeah this is the scene where mario and luigi finally once and for all reveal their last name at the time i was like what but then it perfectly made sense also in that same moment because they are the mario bros but mario's name is mario luigi's name is luigi but they're the mario bros so obviously 
Their name is Mario Mario and Luigi Mario. Genius. Drop uh, the mic. We can just end the podcast right there. That's why it's great. What did you think? Email is. You're right. And and, and the, the beautiful thing is we get to be that cop. The audience is the cop. The cop is the audience in that moment. And I mean the worldwide video game phenomenon playing audience who wondered what the deal was with their names. Because you and your brother Alex, I mean, you're the Bring brothers. You're not the John brothers. Yeah, we're not the like... Super John bros. <laughs> uh, we're the Super Bring bros. That's a, that actually would be a cool game, I think. Of me and my me and my brother, and it basically just be us going around to like Disneyland or theme parks and eating too much. It'd be a video game of the two of you playing another video game. <laughs> what? <laughs> Perfect. It'll be. It's a. It's a. It's a wonderful moment to hear. And it's funny because Luigi is the one who explains it to the cop. And he's like, there's three Marios. It's Mario, Mario, and Luigi Mario. <laughs> yeah. I, By the I way, that's that. the stupidest thing of all time. No, it's great. It's uh, so perfect. and It's great. It's stupid, though. Oh, it's it's dumb. I mean, look, man, the whole movie is pretty stupid. But <laughs> I remember, like, in the theater, I can really re- like visualize myself like literally leaning forward during that moment. Like, oh, we're gonna find out. Like, as if they had waited for the first X Men movie to come out to reveal Logan's last name, like Wolverine's last name, which uh, they didn't until the. Luckily, at least the comics revealed it was Howlett, and his first name's not even Logan. It's James. He grew up a rich kid. What? That's not the Logan I know. He's just from the Canadian wilderness. And was and he slashed out of his mother's stomach with his claws. Hashtag not my Wolverine. <laughs> yes. It was such a dumb scene of Mario and Luigi getting booked. And it's pretty disturbing because not only do we have that, we have the stiletto. We have the franticness of them being dragged in. They get them like pulled to the side. They're like shuttled through these like very concentration camp-esque like tunnels of like chain link fence they're put through like silkwood showers they're getting defungused and it's all fairly disturbing but back to the alan silvestri score the music is so like fun and jaunty it does not jive with what's going on on the screen at all it's like what am i watching no this is a perfect example of what you said which is silvestri's music entirely purposed to bring some levity because with the right music, this could have been dark as shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know another thing I noticed? They're not really in cells. They're in cages that are stacked on top of each other. And it also allowed them to have direct access to each other, like, visually and uh, auditorially. They can see each other and talk to each other despite being in separate cages or cells. It's a huge set. So imaginative and like i, I kind of go back to that throughout the entire time watching the movie especially once they get to dino hat and i know you can say what you will about the quality of the story and the narrative and the character development but like just looking at it from a visual standpoint and from a design standpoint it's you've never seen anything like this before sure there are some blade runner inspirations with the main strip of dino Hatton. But especially this prison just is like, I've never seen anything like it before. It's dynamite. And it, and there's a truck driving along with a bunch of prisoners as we begin the scene. The camera pans up off of the truck. And it is just like blowing sparks out from every orifice. And that's when I realized like there are so many sparks all over this movie. 
they're just everywhere, everywhere. And the prison is like spark central, man. And I just wish they did stuff like that. Those are the kind of details. That's a level of commitment where if your spark's not working, you're not going to use the take. That's the kind of stuff that they don't seem to do anymore, that everything's a little bit too grounded and simple, thanks to probably big blockbusters like The Dark Knight and Inception, where everything has to be a little bit too clean. But I miss the days when like wacky shit like, who knows where these sparks are coming from? Who knows why they're there? I don't care. It looks fucking cool. That's why. <laughs> and that's probably exactly what Rocky Morton and uh, Annabelle Jinkle said in the moment. But I just, I love the way it looks. And uh, sorry to get on my soapbox about that. I'm always complaining like an old dude about how movies aren't like they used to be. You know what? You should be the change you want to see in Hollywood. You can bring back the sparks. Hashtag bring back the sparks. You know, when I make my movie, it's just going to be called Sparks. And it's just going to be a black screen with a shitload of sparks all over it. And it's going to be much like Super Mario Bros., the critical consensus anyway. No characters, no plot, just motherfucking sparks, brother. And it's going to be a hit. I'll see it. I'll, I'll pay for it over and over. Uh, you know, I'll, you're invited to the premiere. It's fine. All you don't right. Have to yeah. get zero dollar box office returns. So the one ticket you know, we could have sold. <laughs> one, an easy explanation for all the sparks. Uh, not that you're looking for one, but there is a good one. Much like the worlds of Tank Girl and Judge Dredd. And Blade Runner and Total Recall to, to bring those other sci-fi films into it. The Sparks, I think, are evidence of an uh, of like an infrastructure that has gone foobar. It's a shitty world, so I mean, all of the the things that keep your civilization running, all of the wiring, the plumbing, the the lighting, the power grid, everything is on the fritz because everything sucks, and as a result it's literally falling apart at the seams and that's going to result in a lot of random parts uh, and yeah, sports. everything's yeah, <laughs> totally. That's a good explanation. And I'm sure that that's exactly what the directors and writers thought of. I'm sure they thought it through that much. You were about to tell us about toad, I think. And uh... well, yeah, toad gets taken away. Uh, Mario and Luigi still think it's unjust that he does. They of course get taken with toad, to the aforementioned devolution chamber. We'll eventually discover that the devolution chamber is the reason the entire Dinohattan city is covered in fungus, because at some point he took the king, he being Koopa, took the original king and devolved him to the point of being fungus. I uh, don't exactly know how that works, because everybody else just sort of devolves into a primordial ooze. But once he did that, once he turned him into fungus, he spread all over the city. But now Koopa uses this chamber to devolve people that go against him and turn them into his goons, a.k.a. his Goombas. I love the Goombas now, and I think I pretty quickly accepted them uh, in 1993, but not immediately. I will say that that was one of the few things that disappointed me when I first saw them in 1993 uh, as a kid was... Not only were these Goombas nothing like the Goombas from the game, they were something entirely different. It'd be like if you took a, 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 your source material were a book about dogs and you made a movie about cats. Like that's how far, <laughs> that's yeah, how totally. far away it was. Goombas are short and they have tiny little bodies and giant heads. So what do you do? You make them giants, <laughs> huge bodies and tiny heads. What? 
Why? And also, why does devolving them turn their heads tiny? Why does it shrink their heads like it's Beetlejuice or some shit? And not only that, but why do they get enormous? They get really yeah, big. No. Now, like I said, I think I was I hated it immediately, forgave it quickly, and and these days I I think it's great because they have their own strangely appealing, unique look. I love looking at them. They are fascinating. Yeah. I especially love the ones that have more lizard-like heads that have like the long, narrow snouts. I really love those. Those are great puppets. I'm so impressed to this day of the puppetry and the design of these guys. They look totally believable, especially the toad one is so expressive. It's just impressive to me that they were able to pull this off in 1993. But again, that was back in a day when they, when puppetry and animatronic effects were the only option. Now these guys would be CG in a, in an instant. And that sucks because I think that you lose a lot of that personality when it's a computer generated creature. And they're also so much more intimidating because they legitimately are like seven, all they're all about the same height, probably about seven feet tall. They're nuts looking. And I read somewhere that originally the Goombas had played a very small role, but when the directors saw the designs for them and saw the costumes actually realized, they're like, screw that, we're giving them an expanded role. Yeah, they're super cool. So Toad gets de-evolved right in front of the Mario Brothers, and they're like, what? No, you are, this is, this is crimes against humanity. What? This is insane. But they do readily accept that de-evolution is something that can occur, uh, which oh, we won't. People take things so well in this movie. Oh, we're on a dinosaur land. Or later, spoiler alert, when Scapelli gets turned into a monkey, everybody laughs and cheers. They and they're laugh! Not, they're not like, oh my fucking Christ, they just turned him into a fucking monkey before our eyes. Like, what? Uh, everyone's like, oh, that's so crazy. They're like, that's oh, so <laughs> that's, it's so funny that man became a monkey. So we find out in this de-evolution chamber that Koopa is evolved from a T-Rex, which he somehow knows that he specifically is evolved from a T-Rex. He also knows a lot of things, whereas humans don't know shit about this meteorite thing. Koopa knows all about it. Does that mean like everybody in that dimension knows about the last 65 million years of history and can trace it? Because on this side of the dimension, the original dimension, we sure as shit can't. Everything is speculation. I don't know if he knows an, so much about it because he's made the trip to our side before. Because we see him in the prologue with Daisy's mom. He comes and finds her. He looks like he's more of a military type at that point. Because he's wearing some sort of uniform with a bunch of uh, medals and whatnot on it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. And I think maybe because they have the meteorite on their end, maybe that's why they know more. But it does seem very specific, like... Oh yeah, this meteorite hit, it split our worlds into two, but we also speak the same language, look the same, and also built two towers in the middle of New York. Some strange coincidences, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how he knows all of this. It is definitely an exposition dump to try to catch the viewer up on what the fuck is going on, because otherwise I think a lot of people would be lost. I think you and I were not, because we read comic books and their comic books, especially in the nineties were some of the most confusing things in the world. So and we, and we were able to follow that. No problem. So I think uh, it was for the general audiences. One thing I will mention about him talking about his background as being a T-Rex is in this scene, he doesn't really do it for the rest of the movie, but in this scene, he's like holding his arms up like very close to his body as if he were a T-Rex, like mimicking the short arms. It's a good acting choice. 
which I'm not going to say a whole lot for Dennis Hopper in this movie, but that was a nice touch. I, he may do it one other point of the movie, but when he's explaining that he's from a T-Rex, that's the point where he holds his arms up in a T-Rex fashion. So, And uh, we get another glimpse of it immediately after that because uh, at, so that the Mario brothers can escape, they throw Koopa into the de-evolving chair. He goes into the machine and his head actually goes up into the apparatus momentarily um and when he comes down you see his round blue eye temporarily become like a you know reptilian and like green and red and then it goes back to normal but it's like whoa what just happened there did it just like fry him a little bit but the mario brothers are back on the run luigi stops to look at the fungus around and it it seems that at this moment the fungus is trying to give them a bomb uh but mario is completely like dismissive of this whole thing and he will not let luigi even bother with it much less take it and then they zip line i guess <laughs> i through don't the jail what is this thing for what are they using to escape but it's a some sort of it's like a factory i guess if you're loading something and transporting it from one end of the factory to the other you could probably hook some chains to it but yeah mario and luigi use it as a fun ride it's and... a zip line <laughs> it's, a, it's basically a zipline, a, a self-propelled zipline. Usually gravity propels you on a zipline, but in their case, they have to swing their legs. And all the prisoners are just eating it up. And the, and the crazy Koopa cops are shooting fireballs at them, which I, I like that uh, it's fireballs just because so many villains in the Mario universe do shoot fireballs at you. That I thought that was a fun touch. I Yeah, but b- there wouldn't have been a car chase if apparently Luigi had not been able to figure out how to operate the car, which he gives credit to the fact that he sits on his butt all day playing video games. Right, right. Uh, that's his explanation to Mario, and I thought that that was a nice little dig, I guess. It's funny because that... Is that what you do in a video game movie? That's like, I don't know. That's like in uh, Endgame. Somebody saying like, oh, well, I knew what Thanos was going to do because I grew up reading those stupid comic books. Uh, well, I feel like that was a big trope at the time. Uh, it sort of appeared in Jurassic Park 2 with the character Lex, who claims to be a hacker. She knows how to work the Jurassic Park systems. I'm assuming an extremely complex security system she's able to figure it out in the matter of minutes but i remember there being a lot of kids in movies being able to figure out overly complicated stuff quote unquote because they play video games now if there were the kids of today i'd buy it because video games are so insanely complicated now that like okay yeah yeah, i could i could see how you could figure something out or intuit how to use a piece of technology but back then there were two buttons and a d-pad it's like, uh, Luigi, you're not figuring shit out. You don't, you don't know how to do that. <laughs> you maybe know how to like jump around Dinosaur Island and Mario Brothers, but uh, I don't know unless, if you know how to drive this car. I will say, unless uh, the one hacker kid, the one NES player that I would take on my hacking team would be any child that could have beaten the original Metal Gear for NES. If, the, if a kid could beat that game... I, I want him on my hackers team, just like Johnny Lee Miller and uh, <laughs> and Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie. I couldn't get past like the third screen on that game. Like I, I, I have it on my uh, on my SNES Classic, and I've tried playing it several times as a mid to late thirties man, and can't figure it out. It's impossible. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I never got off the first screen. <laughs> <laughs> I do like if you get to like the third screen. There's a guy that's standing there, and he says, "I feel asleep." <laughs> <laughs> 
says it out loud, and then there's little Z's <laughs> over his head. That's really funny. Now, uh, now we're talking about the Mario Luigi escape scene. You want to talk about sparks? You want to talk about this scene? There are so many sparks because it's nothing but car crashes. Again, it's very like madcap, like a lot of car crashes. A lot of uh, at one point they end up on top of somebody's car. Don't even I like look down for one second and then they were on top of a car. No idea how that happened. They eventually go through a barricade and go through a tunnel that says Kupahari Desert, which, of course, anybody who's played Mario Kart is familiar with that level. So they end up in the Kupahari Desert. The fungus saves them after trying to give them the Babam, which uh, we didn't even mention that the Babam is one of the purely like game-accurate designs in the entire yeah. thing. It looked so cute and cool, and I like. I want one of those to put on my shelf. Uh, but they end up getting saved by the snot, uh, as Luigi puts it. It seems like the uh, the city blew them out of their nose, and a booger saved them, which is really gross. And they are on in the desert. My okay, we're gonna get to it, but I'm gonna go ahead and say they know where they came from, and I realize that they are lower to the ground. But why do they get lost in this desert? It's not like they teleported there or fell out of the sky there they came from one direction can't you just go back the other direction yeah they could easily climb the fungus back up the tunnel because none of the cops pursued them through the tunnel there you go presumably because they were afraid of getting spit out the other end so that's a good question and also you wouldn't get lost because there's literally one city in this entire world you could just see it's right there right, right there in front of your faces guys use some common sense maybe they're trying to look for a uh, a better way in a safer way in uh, i don't know i can't speak to that i don't know the logistics of getting in and out of mega city one what's it called the dino hatton <laughs> mega city one is a judge dread reference i do feel like it bears a lot of resemblances to that movie the first one the uh sylvester stallone one like the desert outside of the giant city and yeah dude it's a lot of judge dread in there and probably honestly I'm sure that the two directors, being a couple of Brits, probably read 2000 AD and probably brought a lot of those Judge Dredd ideas from uh, the comics directly to this movie. Now all we need is Scott Wilson and uh, Rob Schneider. R.I.P. Scott Wilson. <laughs> R.I.P. Rob Schneider's career? Oh. So we go back to Koopa. He's lost the Mario Brothers. He's in a mud bath, which he loves because it's clean and dirty at the same time, which it isn't. It's only dirty. I can almost guarantee you that Dennis Hopper showed up on set that day and was like, hey, I got a line. <laughs> fill, a, fill the bath full of mud. I got a line. And they're like, uh, I don't know, Mr. Hopper, if we should do that. And he's like, ah, we're going to do the line. We're going to do the line. I got it. It's going to be great. And he's like, okay, sure. Hip, hip, cheerio. <laughs> they were probably not that polite. Morton and, no. and, and Jingle. Uh, not, but yeah. that, not that polite and not that cockney. So Koopa sends uh, uh, Spike and Iggy back after the Mario Bros because they are consistently failing. And he sends Lena to go get the princess. Is this the first time they call her the princess and not Daisy? I think that Iggy and Spike have said they're looking for the princess a couple okay. of times. I think. Uh, but yeah, they, it's no longer up to them. He's sending his stronger... Uh, Lieutenant Lena to and do we is there a romantic relationship between her and Koopa I actually don't know I think that they're lovers <laughs> he said <laughs> disgustingly 
Oh no no no! They can do what they want. They they get <laughs> they get freaky. No, I just felt last night when I watched it that she was more of a like social climber or professional climber, wanting to basically end up where Koopa is. But last night, I mean, they are doing some intimate things together, like laying in a mud bath together. But it could have been like you know a couple of bro business dudes getting a massage together out of like a rub and tug. You know, wow. I'm just thinking of the scene from there's a scene from Weeds where Kevin Nealon is in a business situation with a guy and they go get a rub and tug together. It's very awkward. Anyhow, mean, and of course, by Weeds, you mean Weeds that you were an extra on uh, on Weeds. Oh, wasn't I? Was I? I can't yeah, remember. Dude. It was one of the early seasons. There were it was a court, uh, not a courtroom scene, but like a city council scene. Oh yeah! And you were true, true to life. You were operating a camera. Oh, and I back. took that shit real serious too. I was like actually <laughs> filming it. I would not have been surprised if you had pulled a Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel and were like, "I actually need this camera to operate. These uh, headphones don't go with this camera." This. Can we get a fill? Can we get a fill in on here? Uh, we need a backlight on a uh, on Nancy there. I totally forgot about that. It's funny that you remember my background career better than I do, but also it makes sense because you have a mind like a steel trap, and I have the worst memory of all time. Um, you were also also on Gilmore Girls. You were on Bones. Gilmore Girl. I remember Bones because I think you and I were both on that. We were, we were both on the yeah. We were both on the same episode of Bones. Um, where we just hung it, out at a carnival all night and just walked back and forth and ate the delicious food at Crafty. We were we were in uh, Blades of Glory. I, some of my students found me in that, in that whoa, movie. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can see us in Blades of Glory? Yeah, you can see us in Blades of Glory. We're, we were in like uh, a, an arena filled with like 3,000 people. How did they see us? Well, because I told them which scene it was. And they, I guess, watched it frame by frame. And they're like, there's Mr. Beasley. Wow. You can definitely see yeah. us in our very first job from close to home where me, you, and Perry were all on it together. Uh, I got a sunburn because they had gigantic bonfires, like fake bonfires going. And I got basically a sunburn from the bonfire that night. I I guess it's just... How did they have... You can't have a fake bonfire. They were gas-powered, but they were made to look like bonfires. They were actually steel. And they were gas... Yeah, they were gas-powered. Because I remember one point, all the fires just went out simultaneously. I was like, whoa, that's cool. On any set, I mean, anybody should be wary of fire. But anytime there's fire, there's so much precaution taken understandable so i think when they have something like bonfires they want to be able to control it and put it out at a moment's notice in case something goes wrong so how about that cash me outside how about that so lena whether she's a lieutenant or a lover or both both i'm going with both whether she's a a social climber or whether she's just sick of her boothang (laughs) koopa (laughs) she, she is uh going to check out all these uh, kidnapped Brooklyn gals because she now knows which one is Daisy because she tells her that she has her mother's eyes. Oh, uh, but before she goes, she gets out of her mud bath and paints a dress onto herself. I don't think that that outfit could have been any tighter. It looked like hermetically sealed onto her body. Like, (laughs) it was insanely tight. I love all of her costumes, by the way. I think I mentioned that before, but I think her costume and hairstyling is so great. Top notch throughout the whole movie. Yeah, like like we said earlier, it's Frank Miller inspired. It's like 80s power female turned up to 11, like big shoulder pads. It's tight in the right areas. It's really showing off like the female form. It, It... 
it's it's also intense it's like shiny it's leathery it's pointy it's it's just really heavy duty so yeah. i'm with you but yeah she finds and has like a tender moment with daisy daisy's been put in her old office and who else is in her old office darren but an old friend or actually at that point he'd be a new friend oh yeah yoshi so wow we get to meet yoshi who is a real-ass-looking dinosaur. Ah, uh, yeah. That Yoshi puppet is great. Like, that super is, impressive. Like, that's on par with anything in Jurassic Park. Well, anything. I read somewhere that the people from Jurassic Park went to the set of this movie to check it out and to see what kind of dinosaur effects they were doing. And they took one look at Yoshi and were like, shit, we should hire these guys to make a second creature shop for Jurassic Park. I don't think they did because this movie went so wildly over schedule, but they were very taken with this Yoshi puppet, and rightfully so. It's a great puppet. I buy it to this day. 2019, watching it in, well, I guess we're not technically watching it in high definition. I don't know if any version of, of this film quality-wise would all of a sudden reveal that this was not a good design and no good way. mechanics. It looks amazing. It's uh, interesting to me that Yoshi was such a new character at that point, and by now, Yoshi's a fucking icon. He's in every Smash Brothers, he's in every Mario game now, but they like when they made this movie, when they created this uh, apparatus to play this dinosaur, they probably had no idea if Yoshi would be a hit or not because right. the game had just come out. So it's it's cool that Yoshi's in, even included. I suppose maybe if the game had flopped or if Yoshi as a character had flopped, maybe they could have cut him out. But, but yeah, it's so interesting to me that they ended up featuring this character that uh, they honestly, yeah, had no idea that he would be the hit that he would turn out to be, that he'd be the star of his own series of games and would be, like I said, such a huge icon and such a huge, uh, honestly, marketing tool <laughs> for the Mario games. Oh, no, for sure. But uh, as it is, he's like a captive pet. Like, he, he's a pet, but he's not treated, uh, my, certainly not in my version of how you treat a pet, which is with love and care. It's right. more like he's like a beast that they're afraid of slash punishing. Uh, I don't slash torturing for no good reason other than they're terrible lizard people. And and again, it's interesting to me also that there's Yoshi. I mean, I guess it's like we're humans and we have cats and dogs as pets, but interesting that like this little dinosaur creature exists at the same time as you have humanoid, quote unquote, dinosaurs roaming around and doing their thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess if, if you de-evolve Scapelli then into a chimpanzee i guess what we're learning is that humans if you de-evolve them just so it goes straight to monkey right and, you know i think it's ill-advised that humans would keep chimpanzees as pets but you can yeah so i guess you know them having yoshi is similar to a human who has a chimpanzee as a pet uh yeah. somewhere some evolutionary link backward we we keep as a pet but hopefully people aren't treating their chimps the way that Koopa and Lena are treating Yoshi because it's terrible. Jesus, no, I know. They locked him up. They put him in this room that nobody goes into. They put a, a collar around him, chained him up to the wall. Lena eventually stabs him with a knife. They treat Yoshi yeah. like shit for no good reason. So it's like, why do you even keep him around? I mean, I, I suppose there are those cases where a, uh, a, a boyfriend or a husband will... In a, in a fit of 
kindness will buy their lover a pet, will buy a dog or a cat or something, and it will be fun for a few minutes and then quickly discarded like a used toy. And then you have this living creature that's just tied to a stake in the backyard. I guess it's sort of that situation. But but Cool Puppet and Daisy immediately has a connection with it. And why not? It's it's Yoshi's cute. He's cool looking. He's got Dino DNA. And, uh, he's and he a, seems super sweet. He seems yeah. super sweet. Yeah, he makes little cute little chirping noises. Because uh, I don't know if you know this, Darren, but dinosaurs eventually evolved into birds, according to yeah. Alan Grant. Well, but not in this world. They evolved into Dennis Hopper. <laughs> oh, right. Right, which is, yeah, somewhat, is, his, the ridges on his head are somewhat bird-like. But Speaking of weird hair, you got Iggy and Spike, who their differences, I guess, are spelled out entirely in the fact that they have weird hair. Since these people aren't actually lizard people, they're not green, they don't have scales, they just have weird hair. Yep, that's how we know about their otherness, is their hair. Except for the guy, the police captain. He's got a regular-ass mustache, and he's just got like the skirted <laughs> eggshell, and the dork who's running the devolution machine, which we're about to get back to that chamber, that dork's just got regular-ass hair, too. That dude, though, in the de-evolution chamber, is going to evolve Iggy and... Uh, almost said Iggy and Pop, uh, not not Iggy Pop at all. <laughs> nope. uh, Iggy though, they, and... though they are Stooges. <laughs> very good, very good. Iggy and Spike are going to be evolved, but only a little bit, just their intelligence. I think they should have had some sort of physical manifestation of their evolution, don't you? Yeah, I, I have a lot of questions about the evolving aspect of this machine. Like, why wouldn't you just use it on yourself? Also, earlier when Mario and Luigi devolve Bowser, why doesn't he just immediately Bowser, say, wait a minute. I'm going to interrupt your whole point because you said Bowser, sorry, which it, is a word that is not used in this movie that's, that's at true. all. Sorry, Koopa. I don't know why he wasn't just like, oh, hey, just hit the evolve for 10 seconds and, and we'll be set. Yeah, so I have a lot of questions about the evolving aspect of it. But in the case of Iggy and Spike... It just makes their brains larger because we see a scan of their brains and their brains are like dinosaur tiny normally. Although like when we saw Toad earlier, his brain was normal human size and got smaller. Theirs is tiny and gets bigger. Yeah. And also what is filling up the rest of their skull if their hmm. brain is that tiny? It's just air, man. If they're less evolved intelligence wise based on the brain size they would not have an overdeveloped skull. The skull only increases in size for what it is housing. That, you, know, you said you had a lot of questions. I'm all of a sudden raising brand new ones. But nevertheless, we do get uh, Iggy and Spike who are evolved to be ostensibly more intelligent. But <laughs> Spike instantly tries to prove his intelligence by asking Iggy if he knows the square root of 26,481 which Iggy does not because he has yet to be evolved. The only thing is what Spike tells him is that the correct answer is 191, which is not the square root of 26,481. So tell us, uh, clearly you've looked it up. What is the correct answer? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, I just multiplied 191 by itself and it's not 26,481. <laughs> Boy, that's some lazy screenwriting. If you can't even pull out a calculator. And or, or is it clever screenwriting and they showed that, in There's fact, nothing happened? Oh, uh, yeah. You know what? And the reason Good I point. say that 
Yeah, the reason I say that is because clearly they are still doofuses because the next scene that we see them in is back on the hunt for the Mario Brothers and they're not doing a very good job. They don't know how to operate this little, this weird little backhoe dune buggy go-kart thing, um, which would be an awesome cart on some sort of theme park ride. Like it would be... Oh yeah, totally. Or even like a an Easter egg in a Mario Kart game. I mean, after all, they are in the Kupahari Desert, as I mentioned That's before. Right. They just better watch out for that train that comes through, because that train oh, will get you. And then, okay, here's further proof that they're stupid. They tell the Mario Brothers Koopa's entire plan uh, after being easily duped and captured by the Mario Brothers, who Mario Brothers don't in this movie seem to be particularly smart. So no. Iggy and Spike must still be particularly dumb. It's not just your brain size that dictates your intelligence. You have to actually cultivate knowledge, but they haven't taken the time to do that. They just did step one without doing step two, and now they're still dumbasses that get captured with the greatest of ease. And and if you, even if you look at them laying on the ground, or sitting on the ground, rather, and they are, quote-unquote, tied up, there's, like, one rope loosely around the two of them that if you <laughs> if they just lifted their arms, they would easily get out of it. But they remain captured, so they still dumb. They are. But now, however, they are teamed up with the Mario Brothers in order to stop Koopa and his whole plan, which means that they've now got to go to the Boom Boom Club because they realize that the shard or the rock or whatever you want to call it is, as far as they know, most likely still around the neck of Big Bertha. And she is the bouncer at the Boom Boom Club, which Iggy and Spike know. Oh, and real quick, this is finally the point where we even learn the importance of that shard. They reveal Koopa's plan, and up until this point, the audience is kind of in the dark as to why the hell they need it exactly. And we find out he wants to merge the two universes. The resources have run out in the Koopa world and Dino Hatton, and what Koopa wants is to take over our world, to merge the two worlds, so he can rule it because he feels the dinosaurs are the superior race. Hold on, wait a minute. Is this a pro? Is this like a big oil movie? Like, is this funded by like big oil companies? Because oh. they're they're saying the only the only resource that is of any great value is coal and oil, right? Because why couldn't Koopa just cultivate like solar power in his dimension? Since they don't have fossil fuels, they weren't strangled by the by big oil, so they would have they could have looked for other possible uh, energy alternatives. Yeah, that's a good point, but I think it's ultimately an anti-big oil movie because what an asshole Koopa is. And look <laughs> at this guy. He worships oil, supposedly, according to the filmmakers. That's all he wants is to get the oil. So look at this asshole. He wants to ruin everything. So it's really like, man, environmental message. Let's do this thing. Let's get solar power, be green, recycle, reuse, uh, which is a common thread among early 90s movies. Like It was all about environmentalism for a while and sadly it did not take <laughs> and now uh, we are in dire straits and and that needs a comeback no man early 90s environmentalist messages i mean biodome am i right <laughs> man what a great film what a great film a classic by anybody's standards all right so at the boom boom club mario uh is trying to get close to big bertha and she wallops him a, a good one and when he comes back, because he's not deterred by being punched in the teeth, Big Bertha tells Mario, 
dance with me and I'll hit you all you like. And Mario, he definitely in that moment is like, you know what? I like this gal. Like, <laughs> Danielle is out there somewhere in a in some sort of Koopa holding cell, unbeknownst to Mario. To to be fair, he thinks she's at her apartment in Brooklyn, but Danielle is out there somewhere. Wondering where her her man is. He's been gone for a couple of days at this point, and here Mario is flirting with Big Bertha. He wants to see what lizard love is like, you know. He wants to test it out, and and I, apparently he likes being punched in the mouth. Yeah, he likes getting knocked around a little bit. And just looking at Daniela, she probably can't throw that great of a punch. She's kind of waifish, so yeah, she can't hurt him too bad. So Mario's into that kind of thing. He's into pain. So. I don't know. Makes makes him smile, I guess. Um, <laughs> so there's like, different strokes, man. There's this uh, as a result, this really weird slow dance while Mario's trying to get the rock from around Bertha's neck, but which he is successful in doing, and just, and she doesn't notice at all. Um, but then she suddenly notices that he even has though he not puts only- his teeth in her cleavage, it's a very large crystal that I would notice that gone immediately. So I don't know how she's like, huh? when it when she realizes it's gone a minute <laughs> she, later. She really is. That's exactly her reaction. But what's so funny is that uh, she seems more hurt than pissed. Yeah. Like she fell in love with Mario Mario way too fast. In about a 30-second dance scene. And I think Mario fell in love with her a little bit, too. I think it, it pained him to, to betray her like that. But Mario, uh, soon Fiona Shaw shows up with the stormtroopers in the club, breaks up all the fun. All the cops, all the Goombas. It's just a mess. Uh, This is the point where that Was Not Was song uh, covered by George Clinton comes on. It's a big romp. It's real crazy. Is this the point where Luigi finally gets his hands on the bob Not yet. Well, Big Bertha ultimately helps him escape. She gives them the, the jump boot. She gets him out of there. And this is the point of the movie where... It becomes so fast-paced that it is actually a little hard to follow from time to time. I will say that, narratively, it starts to unravel a tiny bit at this point. But this is a children's movie, or at least it's supposed to be. So I think that they were trying to keep it fast-paced, trying to keep our attention, and just try to keep it exciting. And, you know, and it works. But Mario and Luigi escape. And Mario... He gets one last goodbye kiss with Big Bertha. <laughs> he does. And then one of the few, to, to your point about it being narratively kind of a mess, no more so than after their escape, they land in the back of a garbage truck, which Mario intuitively knows is headed for Koopa's oh, right. tower or Things something. Things get a little right. convenient. Yeah. Why would they bring the garbage to Koopa Tower? When they have a giant <laughs> desert to throw all their trash in, why would you keep it on site in the in the tiny Dino Hatton? And how in any way would Mario know that? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was I, just thinking logically, but just take that line out. Have them be like, "Hey, it's probably better that we stay in this trash truck than jump out of a moving trash truck when we're still being chased." You could have that with no explanation. There's no reason for Mario to interject that we're headed towards Koopa's Tower. There, there's literally no way for him to know that. But I will say around this time, I, I don't know if it was during the escape or or was it in the truck, but around this time, Luigi utters one of my favorite lines of the movie, possibly of all of cinema, something that I say very often. I know you do too. This is something that we definitely share. Mario says, oh, that's impossible. And Luigi says, nothing's impossible. 
Improbable, unlikely, but never impossible. That is one of the great lines. I love it. That stuck with us so much as kids. We immediately were quoting that upon exiting the theater. We love that. And I love that attitude. I love Luigi's openness. I love that he... I mean, they take everything on board very quickly in this movie anyway, but I definitely enjoy Luigi's openness, established at the beginning of the movie. You know, reading the tabloids, watching the sensationalist TV... It's a good character trait, and they I like that they carried it through. It's kind of nice. You're right. Everybody takes the stuff on board pretty easily, but how they cope with it is uh, is the difference between the characters. Mario's like, oh, of course there's uh, dinosaurs, and oh, my God. But he's like, ugh, these stupid dinosaurs. Like he's, It's okay to all of a sudden know that they exist. He's already sick of them. Luigi's kind of like in awe of the whole thing, and he's like, no, Mario, it's incredibly full of wonder. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they're in Koopa's lair, which they knew they were going to because they were in a trash truck, and um, they (laughs) open up a single locker in, I don't know, the trash man's locker room? Like, I don't know, where are they? In there are two sets of differently colored overalls with matching hats that are each to their exact size specifications. And actually, they are not matching hats. Uh, Mario has the classic Mario, like, newsboy cap, and Luigi has a uh, baseball cap, like he, which he oh, wears no, back. I meant, no, no, fair point, but I meant matching. They, they match their overalls. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Not, not, but, not, they, not that the hats match each other. But if we're talking about uniforms, why the hell are there two different styles of hat? And why are also, there two different also, colors? Also, yeah, why are there two different colors? Also, also, we haven't seen, I don't think, anybody in the dinosaur world other than a helmet, which is worn by many of the police officers. Nobody's worn a hat. Why is there like an old, like, 40s-style newsboy cap at all in this locker? It makes no fucking sense. However... Pretty cool that they have their costumes. Well, yeah, but not only is nobody wearing a hat, nobody's wearing these overalls. And you go, well, did you see a bunch of trash men? Yeah, you did. Yeah, they they had those gimp masks. Yeah, they're like they're like leather rubber daddy. suit and giant hoses to suck up trash. That's like a very busy wardrobe mistress to come up with that costume yeah. for them to then go, but. You know, overalls for the for for the Mario Brothers. Yeah, not even real overalls. They're like in, they're like jumpsuits with like implied overalls. So it's like an overall. Yeah, they're, pattern. they're like yeah, they're like coveralls. Which is very like early '90s. Like we're not going to give you the exact costume. We're going to give you a version of it, reminiscent of X Men, the very first one where they're wearing the leather suits. But we get like implied versions of their outfits. Like Wolverine still has the spikes on his shoulders and on his sides, but it's just really subtle. And it's all black leather, and it's very reminiscent of that. It reminds me of that a lot. Can we talk about a, a pair of quick scenes with Koopa? First of all, we finally get to meet the Mushroom King, the former king of the Mushroom Kingdom. I mean, rather, Dino Hatton. Koopa goes in to gloat, basically, that his plan is about to come to fruition. He, he reveals that he devolved the king into fungus somehow. So he's here to gloat. He's here to say, hey, my plans are about to come to fruition, pal. Like, fuck off. But he calls it a Mushroom Kingdom, which I like. And then, shortly after, we just get a random scene of Koopa ordering a pizza. And I don't know why, but all of their phones are guns. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I like that. It's a weird touch. But he, like, <laughs> he shoots a gun at a screen, and a totally normal like pizza bro shows up. And he's like, oh, hey, Mr. Koopa. 
He's not making like, oh my god, it's King Koopa with like make us pizza immediately. He's like, oh, you want extra salamanders on that, bro? That's honestly like one of my favorite scenes of the movie, and I guarantee you, again, that's probably like a Dennis Hopper thing that he's like, hey, I want to order a pizza on screen today, and they're like, uh, okay. I think that kid who is on the screen probably had no idea he was sharing a scene with Dennis Hopper, and he showed up to the premiere, and it's like, wow, we, I got to be on screen, <laughs> Dennis Hopper, bro. Uh, anyway, I love that, and it's actually a really funny runner for the latter part of this movie, the pizza thing, which comes back several times. Iggy and Spike disappear from the movie, never to be seen again, and yet they bring out this fucking pizza like three more times. Never mind that you invested in these two actors and these two major characters in this film. They don't appear in the last half of the movie, but a thread about a not delivered pizza does. You know why I haven't <laughs> delivered it to you? Cause you're not in the same place, dude. He's all over the place. Really? He's just, is it a homing signal that the pizza joint follows? Yeah. He's in about 600 different locations over the next few minutes. And this is definitely, again, the point where this movie is crazy disjointed. If it seems like it doesn't make sense or we're skipping over things, we're not, we're just telling it like it is. But Fiona Shaw at this point has the crystal piece, by the way. I forget what she's actually up to at this point, but I just know she has it. Meanwhile, in the uh, throne room, Daisy uh, reunites with Yoshi, who uh-huh. has escaped. And she uses the, the phone gun, which I think the explanation has got to be like the it's got to be like the zapper gun. It's got to be the like the NES gun. Like yeah. it's got to be a nod to that, I think. Well, they usually definitely course, use super scopes at some point because we have laid in at different points that they have a mobile devolution gun uh, that the Goombas are being trained to use, and that devolution gun is a repainted super scope <laughs> from the Super Nintendo era. So Daisy knows exactly how to use this gun television phone, and she uses it to very adeptly connect to some sort of intercom or PA system and calls the Mario brothers to the throne room. Then she asks about Daniela, to which Mario responds, because Mario... Oh, yeah, this is one of my favorite things. He has fallen in love with Big Bertha, I guess, and has forgotten all about Daniela. Yeah. And Daisy suddenly reminds him, everything that's going on right now, as fantastical as it might be, has been happening for five minutes. Did you forget about the previous 44 years of your life and your (laughs) long-term girlfriend? And he's um, like, oh, no, I was supposed to take her to WrestleMania, which obviously. I mean, that's an amazing line. It's brilliant. I always loved it when WrestleMania was brought up. It also is brought up in Groundhog Day, if you'll remember, where Phil gives a couple that just got married WrestleMania tickets as a <laughs> wedding gift, and they flip their shit. And I think it was that came out in the same year. I think they were both 1993. So, you know, it's probably good that Mario didn't take Daniela to WrestleMania, because do you know which one it was? I do know which one it was. It was, it was WrestleMania nine, nine in Las Vegas, baby. The, the <laughs> Caesar's palace edition where they dressed everyone up like stupid Romans and brought everybody in on chariots and shit. And it was so dumb. I love it. I love what Bobby Heenan coming to the ring, riding an elephant backward or a camel yeah, a backward. Camel. It was a camel. They couldn't afford elephants at the time. Uh, well, dude, no, but brilliant moment. You can hate it all you like. The Undertaker on a chariot with a vulture next to him on like a little stand. That was like, that's worth the price of admission alone. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty BA, but I hate WrestleMania 9. I think it's so dumb. 
And I think we have a future episode of Here's Why It's Great. Oh, yeah. I'm going to come on the whole ref and show, the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. It'll a be crossover a event for the ages. So I don't think that Mario, because they don't have enough money to fix the radiator on their van, I don't think he's about to fly him and Daniela to Las Vegas and buy WrestleMania tickets, even in 1993, where I'm sure they cost a lot less. So like, I desperately tried to, to give them the benefit of the doubt, and, I, and so I fact-checked it further. Okay, I was thinking, well, maybe they filmed most of the movie in 92, maybe. So maybe they're referring to 92. No, that was in an Indianapolis. Uh-huh. WrestleMania 8 was in an Indianapolis. I don't think Mario's flying them over to Indiana. However, he did promise to take her to WrestleMania. He's, he's not he's not saying they missed it yet, but he's just saying, oh, right, Daniela, who I promised to take to WrestleMania. Because in 1994, WrestleMania 10 was at Madison Square Garden. So maybe he means, maybe. oh, I was supposed to take Daniela to WrestleMania next year. And for some reason, that's what memory has triggered, knowing right. that she's now missing. I have plans <laughs> with her. In about nine to 12 months. (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, Mario, uh, now that he remembers he's got WrestleMania to attend, decides to go find Daniela and he trying to break out all the missing Brooklyn girls. Also the one girl, Angelica from Queens, but she's all right. Oh, don't forget at some fucking point that I've (laughs) lost track of Mario and Luigi also find the pipes for the Koopa building and decide to freeze them out. They're going to get these cold-blooded bastards on their heels by making everything too cold for them to survive. And that's the point where Luigi remarks that it may have been a non-union job because the pipes are a big mess. So they do more plumbing. It's great. More plumbing action. (laughs) What we've always wanted. (laughs) (laughs) What we always dreamed about when we were children playing those games. So the cops uh, get the rock from Lena uh, while she was trying to merge the worlds by herself. Uh, they give the, the the rock back to Koopa, and Koopa manages to capture Luigi and Daisy. Uh, before we get to that, I'm so, so sorry. There's one scene that we have to mention that I think we gloss over a little bit. I'm talking about the elevator scene. Oh, yeah, That's we It's a very we... important scene. It's, a, it's besides the Mario, Mario, Luigi, Mario scene, I think this is the most oft-cited scene of this movie, where Mario and Luigi, they're trying to get to Daisy in the tower. They're trying to get to the throne room and they find themselves in an elevator full of Goombas. And we have a variety of Goombas, the ones with the tiny shrunken heads, Beetlejuice style, some with like the more lizard looking heads. And they don't know what to do. They don't know how they're going to get out of here, uh, how they're going to trick these Goombas. But as we know, they have tiny brains because they have tiny heads. So they hear the elevator music playing and Mario and Luigi start going up to each of the Goombas and start swaying them and pushing them together so that they dance. They all begin dancing and humming along to the music. And I feel like this is the entire movie in a microcosm. (laughs) I feel that this scene is so dumb and so much nonsense, (laughs) but also very imaginative and fun and enjoyable and charming that uh, I think that it really like rolls up what I love and what everybody else hates about this movie in one scene. What do you think? Oh, it does. It's, it's a major takeaway from the movie. When, when you finish the whole movie, 
you won't forget the elevator scene. Even though we did forget it, actually. Well, we're, <laughs> we're trying to be speedy and try to get to the plot. It's not exactly necessary to the plot, even though it does pay off later. Uh, I will say that anybody listening to us still at this point is probably thinking, this is speedy. This is a speedy episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're thinking, wow, they're just cooking. So anyway, there's now a giant frozen tunnel because they're freezing them out. So this gigantic pipe now becomes the host of a giant frozen tunnel chase scene. Where Mario is getting the Brooklyn Babes and Angelica from Queen, she is all right, out of the <laughs> trappings. <laughs> and uh, it was very reminiscent of the Mario 64 ice chase with the giant penguin. Obviously, that game had not come out yet, but I really wish the giant penguin somehow made an appearance. <laughs> they're just chased by some goombas yeah the goombas uh are on a, a door i guess they're on a who knows man i thought that they may have just been sliding on their butts but who knows uh, no i think they're on some sort of thing all together so then in another physics defying show we get to see the mattress with mario and the Groyles. uh flying out of the tunnel at the end of the tunnel which just empties onto the streets because I guess they're air conditioning and heating the streets, um, the the outside, the outdoor public spaces of Dino Hatton. They fly and they just keep flying. They really, they weren't going fast enough and they're on a mattress. It should yeah. have just fallen off the edge and they would have all just died for hitting the right. pavement below. But instead it flies like it's self-propelled. Very slowly. Also very slowly. Again, at that speed, it would have just fallen it would not have continued to move in a direction the inertia is not that powerful uh not compared to gravity and speaking of something falling to the concrete below when they were actually shooting that scene uh, it's reported that they were having troubles getting the mattress going fast enough to make it look cool the mattress that they were using uh, was a rig with bob hoskins stunt double but all of the actual actresses, including Daniela and Angelica, playing the Brooklyn Babes, were on there. Not their stunt women, just the actresses, which is so unsafe. And speaking of unsafe, it was going too slow, so one of the crew members took one of the wires that was kind of holding the uh, speed back, removed one of the wires to make it go faster. They broke for lunch. They come back without testing the rig. They get back on it. It's going way faster. And they're all about 25, 30 feet above concrete floor. One of the girls almost falls off of the mattress. She barely clings on. She was like within an inch of falling to her death, basically. And again, this is an actress. This isn't somebody who is trained as a stunt person who recognizes the risk they're being put under. This person just was like, oh, yeah, this is just a regular acting gig. I'm here to do lines. Nope, she almost died, and when eventually the mattress did hit concrete, it came in too fast. It like went into a roll, and like everybody like flew off the mattress when it hit the oh ground. Oh my god! Everybody, nobody got seriously injured, but it was like everyone was bruised, battered, and worse for wear after that. But that's just one more example of how the directors threw caution to the wind and were doing this all the wrong ways. Usually, safety is the number one thing. Well, what a great movie to change that policy. So Koopa's got them cornered. This is the climax of the movie. It's all come to a head here. He's got the Devo gun. He's trying to de-evolve the plumbers. Uh, but Mario shoots one of the thwomp boots at Koopa, knocking him into 
some sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it, some sort of funnel or dispenser used, like, it's dangling from a crane, Some obviously something for construction. Something clearly from, like, a quarry is what it made me think of. Like, if you yeah, put a bunch of yeah. walks in a, rocks in a quarry and you need to transport them across, that's what it looked like to me. And I guess that the, the cartridge to make the boots work are bullet bills. Which is cool so, that they were there, but I'm like, couldn't have made them shoot bullet bills <laughs> instead of fireballs or something? I don't know. So there's all this crazy action of Koopa in the in the bucket, and he's firing, and Mario's behind him, and he's trying to get him, and, and Koopa doesn't see him. But then Mario, like, kicks him, which so Koopa drops the rock. Lena, who's just hanging out watching everything, tries to grab it and falls over onto, like, like this power grid and is electrocuted. Oh, right, giving her Bride of Frankenstein here. Because, yeah, again, never... this is a children's movie now. This is when we are really realizing that this is a kid's movie. Right, when you're electrocuted, the only thing that happens is your hair stands on end. You're not killed. So Lena runs off because she still has the shard and is not electrocuted to death. So she's going to try and merge the worlds herself. Meanwhile, Mario is pretending that he has the rock in order to distract Koopa. Uh, Luigi, uh, Daisy, and the other girls chase Lena while she's trying to get to the meteorite. And Lena's attempting to put the rock in the meteorite. And then it's just back and forth. The shot's going back and forth. And so it goes back to Mario and Koopa facing off. Mario pulls out the ba-bomb and everybody freaks out. I love the reverence that they all have for the Babam and like the the awe of the destructive power of this thing. The people are running for their lives, people that are not even necessarily that close. And Koopa even himself is like Babam? Mario's like WTF. <laughs> oh, and by the way, just a side note, Mario and Koopa are facing off on a bridge, and as we all remember from the original game, where do Mario and Bowser fa- face off? On my fucking bridge, son. <laughs> That's right. That is a nice touch. So Mario winds up the, this teeny tiny bomb. I mean, it is it's small. I would say it's about a golf ball size. And it is. It's like it's like chattering teeth. It's wind up and it has little feet that move over one another, over atop one another, just to barely move along. So Mario winds it up, sets it down to walk, and it immediately falls <laughs> through the yeah. grating on the bridge. But the fungus catches it, so there's still a chance that it's okay. Back in the meteorite, Lena gets blown <laughs> into the wall. She tries to merge the two worlds by putting the stone into the the slot on the meteorite. And uh, we want to talk about sparks. This is like Sparkapalooza right here. There are so many sparks <laughs> in the scene. All the Brooklyn babes show up with Daisy. One of them smoking randomly, which I thought was a really fun touch. I think it may have been <laughs> Angelica. Just constantly has a cigarette in her hands. I don't even know if it's ever lit, but she's always got a cigarette on hand, which I think is a hilarious touch. So Lena, yeah, is apparently doesn't have the power to merge the world, so she is blasted into the wall and the wall is given an impression of her skeleton and her crazy hair. I was about to say her skeleton and her hair, which makes Luigi say, man, she sure makes an impression. And he even looks to Daisy like, eh? Eh? In that moment, he's like, that was funny, right? Hey, mama me. we learn that uh, only Daisy, I guess, is capable of inserting the rock. I don't know. Why? Who fucking knows? There is no explanation. It's trying to lend her a little bit more importance to the story as more than just a human MacGuffin. And as Mario is trying to trick Koopa 
with a string pretending that he's got the stone, their arms start disappearing. The worlds are merging because Lena got the crystal shard in there enough to where things are starting to overlap. We cut to the real world, and all of a sudden our two towers start looking like Dino Hatton's two towers. All of a sudden Goombas and Koopa all show up at the construction site that we were at earlier. Scapelli, still there, still just standing around. A huge crowd is gathered for whatever reason. Why the, are they there? <laughs> I don't know. All the Brooklyn babes have at this point jumped through the portal. They're back. They're all safely back on Earth. And at this point, Koopa thinks he's won. He's so happy about it. Scapelli's like, hey, who the hell are you over here? And what does Koopa do? Shoots him with that devolution gun and turns him into a monkey, as oh. Koopa himself said. That is the weirdest delivery of any line in the whole movie. It's like he doesn't know the word. And again, with everyone taking shit on board, the whole crowd's like, ah, so crazy. Look at that monkey. It's so funny. Right. That man just materialized out of nothing. And he has giant lizards behind him. And he just shot a weird gun at a man turning him into a chimpanzee. All of this is okay. And ha ha ha. We're all six years old. That man is now a chimpanzee. Yeah. Which they will inaccurately refer to as a monkey. And the chimp climbs into the other Scapelli's arms. And he's like, boss? Boss? Uh, Nevertheless, Koopa is not finished because he now, I mean, he had his plan and it's all coming true. But now he has these pesky plumbers. So he aims the Devo gun at Mario. uh, But Mario himself now says, trust the fungus. So he pulls out a mushroom, which grows. And I, I mean, again, I can see how you're, the directors and the writers are working with the source material here. Not eat a mushroom and grow, but this mushroom can just inexplicably grow. Sure. And it gets so big that it deflects the Devo Ray. And uh, then Mario throws the giant mushroom like a Frisbee uh, <laughs> at Koopa. And it's at this point that Luigi and Daisy use that tool that we mentioned before that we can't remember the name of. They disconnect the crystal shard from the meteorite, and everything goes back to normal. Everyone goes back to where they were in Dino Hatton, even though spatially it doesn't work, because if they're just appearing where they were in Dino Hatton, Mario and Koopa should be somewhere in the middle of Brooklyn or Manhattan at that point, but we're yeah, not going to go into make that. No sense whatsoever. So now they're back in Dino Hatton and we're tracking the bomb still driving down the street. There's this guy who looks like, I don't know, like a punk rock version of meatloaf. When he sees the bomb in the street, he slams on the brakes to avoid it. I um, love the bomb's journey. It's one of my favorite parts of this movie, honestly, because we do track it for quite some time. There's a lot of real estate devoted to this little dude, and he eventually climbs up a wall. He climbs back around and ends up directly underneath Koopa, unbeknownst to Koopa. And the one weird thing is, why is the bomb wearing Reeboks? Why is there a Reeboks logo other than tie-ins? I don't no that's i remember hating weird. that even I, as a kid i was like that's dumb i don't know it's it's very very unnecessarily strange yeah and strangely unnecessary and what a way to really time stamp it for 1993 that reebok was the company not nike or adidas or any of the brands that are still huge today but reebok which is still around i think oh no reebok is totally still around but i mean you're right this might as well have been like la gear <laughs> <laughs> right, Jordash jeans or something like that. Bugle uh, Boy and Ocean Pacific. <laughs> but after everyone flipping their 
fucking shit over this babam. It explodes. It's not that big of an explosion, really. It just sits a regular size explosion, like a grenade or something, and it flings Koopa back into that bucket that he was in earlier that Mario is clambering all over. We're kind of back to where we were 20 minutes ago in the movie, but Daisy and Luigi show up all of a sudden. And they run into Toad, and this was a really weird thing. Toad gives them both Devo guns. Luigi is acting like he has no idea who this could possibly be. Did you did you feel that? Like Luigi looks at like he has no idea at all that this is Toad. Yeah, but I think that I think it's more the fact that one of the Goombas is actually helping them out because they've had to deal with the Goombas so much during this last half of the movie that I think he's more like, whoa, this guy's going to be trouble, but he turns out he's helpful. Maybe that's it. But yeah, I, I do agree because they were literally right there when he got created as a Goomba. So Exactly. That, it's very strange, but whatever. So now they've got these guns. Toad uh, is, is uh, keeping the Goombas... The rest of the Goombas, the still bad Goombas, of course, from shooting Mario because Toad starts to play the song on the harmonica from the elevator. And so the the dumbass Goombas start to dance instead of do their job. And, um, and, I, and I believe also it's at this point where Koopa gets a radio message saying his pizza's here. So all the jokes are falling like dominoes, baby. Koopa is in the back into that weird bucket thing. Mario and Luigi approach it thinking that it could be all over uh but now this big weird t-rex uh sort of emerges and the mario brothers start shooting at it and uh mario yells see you later alligator that reminds me of the teenage mutant ninja turtles 3 where donatello says he swallowed a frog i hope it wasn't one of my ancestors and now he's and now mario's making a correlation between dinosaurs and alligators which is not exactly right i mean they're both lizardy but anyhow well what is truly in doubt uh about the reptiles here is that koopa morphs into about eight different gloppy looking versions of some sort of dinosaur none of which really look like a t-rex and then eventually just devolves into or de-evolves into primordial ooze it's still glop it has a consistency of glop enough that when it spills out, it's sort of like uh, the T-1000 going through the, <laughs> the shattered windshield. It's definitely early shitty CG effects. Not at the well, level I, of T-1000, nor on the level of Jurassic Park, which came out in the same year, but just very shitty looking effects. For a movie that had great practical effects, it had terrible special effects. But yeah, despite being totally gloppy, by the time it hits the ground, it splashes on the ground and it's um, so gross and everybody cheers because koopa's dead the yeah. king is dead and guess what long live the king we cut back to the throne room and all the fungus turns into lance hendrickson for yeah. some reason <laughs> yes what the hell why how they got him why they got him maybe it was a sequel setup and also why once Koopa is gone, why does he automatically change back? Nobody like hit a button. Nobody shot him with an evolution gun. Why does he immediately turn back? Who knows about what half the shit this movie is? Also, the Mushroom King, Lance Henriksen's only line is, love those plumbers. Yep, because at some point he met them 
Daisy introduced yeah. her father, even though he looks just like a giant gross booger. And <laughs> they were kind of freaked really out does. by him. It's gnarly, dude. But yeah, he says loves those plumbers. He got so paid Mario, probably like $100,000 for that one line. So Mario steps up on Luigi's boots uh, and they fly around to fanfare. Uh, yeah. Again, which leads me to believe that these people are very fickle voters because if there's signs that say vote Koopa, then that means he was voted in. I mean, every president's going to be unpopular to a certain segment of society, but you can't get elected if everyone hates you. (laughs) The fact of the matter is everyone's real happy that Mario and Luigi have saved the day, have removed the regime of Koopa. Now the old king should be reelected. The old king your monarch should be elected <laughs> in the democracy. Some weird ass constitutional monarchy. We don't know. They evolve differently than us. Uh- <laughs> yes, yes. And at this point, Mario, Luigi, and Daisy go back to the portal. It's time for Mario and Luigi to go home. But Luigi, he wants to be with Daisy. He oh, wants to be with man. her. But she's got to stay behind. She's got to talk to her father. She has no connection to her family. She wants to know who she is. We're forgetting that Daisy is a lizard person. Like, if Luigi and Daisy were to try to have children, who knows what abomination would come out of that? Would she lay an egg? Would she all of a sudden have a womb? Like, how would that work? We don't know. And honestly, they've known each other for maybe 48 hours at this point. 40 of those hours, they were separated. So... So I don't know. It's like buyer beware, man. Like, don't just like, don't move in with somebody after knowing them for a couple of days. Just take it slow. Take it easy, Luigi. I know he's impulsive. I know he's young. I know he's finding his feet in this world. But you got to really think about these things. You know who is thinking about it a lot? Mario. (laughs) Because Mario is standing right there explaining to Luigi everything that Daisy says. And (laughs) like explaining the meaning. I'm like... Leave them the fuck alone. Yeah, or like say this, say this in private. He doesn't want to lose his brother, though. He's got to be strong. He's got to be forceful. So I understand. I understand where Mario's coming from. Well, uh, Luigi and Daisy give them give each other a goodbye kiss. Yoshi appears out of nowhere, <laughs> uh, and the Mario brothers go back through the portal. But we get one badass shot. One of the best shots of the entire movie is of Daisy in a pink dress with With Yoshi Yoshi. and Toad. Yes, yes. And for some reason, Yoshi is waving, and that's a little strange. But anyway, Daisy, like the princess in the pink dress with Toad and Yoshi. Oh, that's badass. Oh, yeah, that's all we ever wanted. Now it's three weeks later. Mario, Luigi, and Daniela are prepping their dinner. Luigi's watching Miraculous World. And they're airing an episode. And by episode about them, I mean they're airing a 30-second clip, which I guess uh, that's an entire episode. TV is a little different. Because of the the split between the two worlds, maybe TVs just evolve differently in our world. Maybe in there, in the Dino Hatton world, it's like 30 minutes to an hour-long episodes. And, and here in our world, just, you know, those little differences, those little timeline ripples. TV is very short in Mario and Luigi's world. So an entire episode is, yeah, 30 seconds long of documentary footage that they were for some reason shooting when Koopa and the Goomba show up. Why was anybody filming that? Yeah. And then our dimension. Now you watch television the way uh, a 10 year old watches YouTube. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 30 seconds at a time. Luigi's but, uh, a little listless. He's 
back to where he was at the beginning because he's lost his, his love that he knew for two days. Uh, yeah, nevertheless, the commentator on Miraculous World does refer to them as the Super Mario Brothers. Oh, which right. Can I take this moment to say, and we have not addressed it, in addition to the weird Mario Mario, Luigi Mario uh, debacle or ex- slash explanation, depending on how you want to look at it, <laughs> there's also the matter of, I'd say about one-fifth of the time in this movie, somebody says Mario. Which, I mean, I know that's like a thing in real life, not even regarding the Nintendo plumber, but some Marios go by Mario and some go by Mario. But shouldn't there be one definitive way of saying Mario from Super Mario Brothers? You'd think that they would set it up in this movie, being that it's going to go out to millions of people, supposedly, and... You know, be something moving forward that they want to put a stamp on it. But no, they they mix it up. It was depending on what actor it was at, at what time of day and how they felt. But, you know, Luigi isn't listless for long because we get one of our favorite tags of all time. The total copy of the Back to the Future tag where Daisy kicks down the door. She's holding the gun. She's looking all Mad Max. And she said, Mario, Luigi, I need your help. You're not going to believe this. And Mario... In a, in a conclusion of his arc says, oh, I'll believe it. I'll believe anything. Something we also <laughs> something we also quote way too much. And that is the end of the movie. Yeah. Freeze that's frame the on, the, on that's Daisy. That's the end of the movie? The end. Not, not, not exactly. We do have a little tag at the end of the credits, which I only discovered about a year or two ago because I let my DVD run through and uh, discovered there's a little post-credit scene long before post-credit scenes were the thing to do. But yeah, that's the end of the movie, setting up a teaser that would never, ever come to pass. Yes. What a bummer. But in that post credit scene, uh, it starts off with two Japanese businessmen, which talk about an 80s and 90s TV and film trope. The pair of Japanese businessmen. Uh, I mean, it is just ripe for comedy. These two Japanese businessmen are pitching the idea of a video game based on quote unquote based on your many adventures we don't know who they're talking to but it turns out that it's iggy and spike <laughs> who where, where the hell were they what were they doing while the entire fate of their world was coming to a climax i bet they were eating koopa's pizza they were probably they were... in koopa's office uh, with their feet on his desk eating his pizza and shooting his telephone gun Making a lot of long-distance calls, even though there is no long-distance in their world, because who are they calling? Uh, what's really funny is that when they uh, respond to the Japanese businessmen, they each want to name the game after themselves. But then they decide, they agree, that the game should be called the Super Koopa Cousins. Which I would play that game. Hell yeah, Iggy and Spy. Fisher Stevens, the game? <laughs> but hey, man, who was he married to? Wasn't he married to somebody like way out of his league? I think you're right. I think he was married to like a Laura Dern or Laura Linney or another famous Laura. Well, here's the thing. There is absolutely nothing wrong with Laura Dern or Laura Linney because they are talented and beautiful women. But even they are not the the level of out of Fisher Stevens League as I'm remembering. Oh, you know what? You know what just occurred to me? What? I think he was in a relationship. They weren't married, but he was in a long-term relationship with, and good on him, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, yes, Michelle Pfeiffer. That's what I knew. Again, nothing nothing against the, the, the acclaimed Lawless, but uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, I mean, 
uh, bag, yo. A stunner for the ages, you could say, and definitely a humongous star, certainly around this time. Man, oh man. Uh, well, good on you, Fisher Stevens. He is a fisher of women. <laughs> yes. But Super Mario Brothers, I don't know what more we could say about it that we haven't already said. It's a wacky-ass movie. It's all over the place. It's so insanely creative, imaginative, out there, weird. It's a trip. It's psychedelic. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-expanding. You've never seen the characters like this. I don't know if you ever wanted to, but by God, you get it. And I think it's quite an achievement. And I recommend it to everybody. I love it. It's a fantastic movie. It may not be the translation that made any sense. It may not be a translation that uh, anybody else would have written or produced or filmed. But again, what did you have to work with? You had a skeleton at best. It w- That's why I, I want to see the Rain Man version. That's why I want to see all these other versions. Because I think they could have all been equally as weird and equally as good and not a one of them would have in any way been what anybody would expect because there was nothing to expect. If you make a live action adaptation of Super Mario Brothers in 1993, this is as good as you're going to get. Anything that were was truly faithful to the video game would have just been like a cartoon where the actions of the video game were replicated. To make it into a feature-length live-action film, it had to reach. It had to adapt. It had to change. And I sound like Captain Hollywood making this argument for every adaptation. Every adaptation doesn't need to stray. This one did. So clearly, if you can't tell from the last however many hours we've been talking, Darren and I I love this movie. But what did you folks think? Is Super Mario Bros. a one-up? Or Mamma Mia, is it game over? Let us know. How can you let us know? You can email us, hwigpodcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up on our Facebook, facebook.com backslash hwigpodcast. Or you can hit our Twitter or Instagram at hwigpodcast on either of those. Make sure to listen, like, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, on Spotify. We love hearing your comments. We love getting suggestions from you. Uh, actually, Darren, you were the one who suggested Megadeth, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. you have contributed to the the pantheon of here's why it's great. So I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, that. That, that was a good episode. I hope that doing this episode was a little bit more of a contribution than simply typing a one-word comment on Facebook. <laughs> uh, slightly more. Uh, but Darren, where can people find you and uh, and your podcast that I also love? Oh, are people looking for me? Um, okay. Well, as long as you don't serve me papers, that's quite all right. You can find me uh, in various places. Uh, I'm Darren Beasley on Twitter. Oh, you, you may not enjoy following me on Twitter. It's basically me retweeting the indie wrestler Effie and uh, Patton Oswalt. And that's all. Besides that, um, you can find me on Instagram as Buster Girlfriend. You can find my podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. That is The Whole Refin Show. Uh, Refin is spelled R-E-F apostrophe N. And you can find The Whole Refin Show in a lot of places. TheWholeRefinShow.com will actually take you to the uh, Apple Podcast link and you can find me and my co-host Perry Smith uh, on on uh, that podcast, and find that podcast on Twitter at Reffin Show Podcast. 
You can find The Whole Reference Show on Facebook. You can find The Whole Reference Show on Instagram. Definitely go check that out. It's, if you're into wrestling or if you're not into wrestling, they talk about so much more than just the wrestling business in the show. So definitely go check it out. And we will see you here in a couple weeks with a brand new Here's Why It's Great episode. But until that time, I am John Bring. And uh, I am the incredible badass that is Darren Beasley. And here's why it's great. Last name. Mario. Okay, what's your name? Luigi. Luigi, Luigi? No, Luigi Mario. Okay, look, how many Marios are there between the two of you? There's three. It's, it's Mario Mario and Luigi Mario.